there's something curious about this broadcast. This is TGP Nominal. Commence episode now. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal. Hello everybody and welcome to this special Garbage Pod Stroke TGP Nominal Christmas Crossover. We've done this in recent years mainly because we wanted our Garbage Pod listeners to have a listen to the TGP Nominal podcasts and vice versa. We're going to have a few guests on the show, we're going to have a few Christmas messages from people that we've worked with and people who've supported us over the years. There's going to be some music, there's going to be quizzes, there's going to be all kinds of things going on. But before we do any of that, I have to bring in my first special guest into the fold. So welcome on board, friend of the show, Alan Taylor Shearer. Merry Christmas, sir. A very good evening to you, Mark, and a very good evening, happy Christmas, and a happy new year as well to everybody. From me, Alan Taylor Shearer, and it's always a pleasure to be with you. It's been a long time since you've been on the Garbage Pod. What's been happening with you? I, too, produce a podcast for somebody else and it's called the aid memoir podcast all about travel so have a listen to that uh, look it up for me will you please the aid memoir on itunes what else is there oh family of course uh motorbikes and living in the middle of nowhere um, uh, yeah and just life so we're gonna have a short break During the break, listen out for our festive messages from friends and contributors of the show. And when we come back, Alan and I are going to be talking about an event that we took part in earlier in the year. TGP listeners, this is Casper Van Dien. Welcome to the Roughnecks and Merry Christmas. Yeah. Fear attracts the fearful, the strong, the weak, the innocent, the corrupt. Fear, fear is my Christmas ally. Wishing you the dark side of Christmas and a fearful festive time at the Garbage Pod. With greetings from Darth Maul. You're listening to The Garbage Pod, where your input is our output. Welcome back to the Christmas crossover. Back in August, Alan and I covered the Live in the Park Festival, which was part of the Park Live weekend put on by Aylesbury Town Council over the bank holiday. Have a listen to this to get a feel for what the event was all about. So hello everybody, we're at Live in the Park, and when I say we're... I am here with Alan Taylor Shearer. How are you doing, sir? All right. Um, I'm not something that blocks a body of water so that it can be controlled and flow over me. But we are here at LIP, aren't we? Yeah. Or hashtag LIP19. LIP19. <laughs> I like lips. So this is the second year that we've been at Live in the Park. Now, you caught the tail end of it last year, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. I came down in the evening for the um, UK astronomy section specifically, but uh, I got to photograph some of the bands as well that were on later in the evening. This year, I've come down earlier in the day, been here for part of the morning and all this afternoon. Um, 
outstanding absolutely genuinely outstanding day well organized safe everybody seems to be happy apart from that baby um but yeah and you've got such a diverse range of people you're in the sunshine having fun with the community it's the community coming together and enjoying itself and being backstage here being getting access to all the the areas that the public don't normally have you get to see the work that's going in not just prior in preparation but actually while the event's going on the crew here are zipping about all over the place they've all got earpieces and radios they're constantly you know they're responding reacting to different situations dealing with it it is so well organized you know we we arrived there was a vest for us that says council photographer there was a press card here waiting for us um they're tagging tagging us in their social media um they, they they're really interested in our content and what we produce um and for, and for us as podcasters photographers content producers that's invaluable that's you know having an organization that's going to say yeah okay we'll let you come to our event come and enjoy the day um and we'd really love to see and hear the content that you provide and we'll use it and we'll spread the word about it that's exactly what you need from an event like this um you know it wasn't a case of well you're not the bbc so we're not interested you know it was we are local media and we want to cover this event fine come and cover the event and let us see and hear what you're doing and they, they might use it you know great fantastic exposure for us fantastic exposure for them everyone's a winner i don't know why because you you and you know mark as well as i do that when you go to some of these events getting a press pass can be like getting blood from a stone putting it politely yeah pretty much it's like these people don't want the publicity they don't want people coming and covering their event and talking about it and that to me it just just seems totally counterproductive this is totally counterintuitive somebody coming and offering you what is effectively for you free publicity yeah and you say to them oh well i'm not sure you know about what organizer just <laughs> and that, that's one thing that Ellsbury Town Council really do. Uh, it's the community spirit and getting everybody involved. It's something they, they really excel at. And I've said it before on other things, and, and it's all down to the team of Ellsbury Town Council. Ruth Mayhew and her team really pull out the stops when it comes to events. And, and yeah. th this event, putting it on free, is not the easiest thing to do. This event is bringing this community together. You've got people who wouldn't normally talk to each other are sitting in a field having a picnic with the, with the, next to each other you know people who wouldn't who would normally avoid each other on the street maybe if they were just walking along shopping are sitting in a field together enjoying music entertainment relaxing what, what's not to like and it, it goes over two days as well this event because tomorrow it starts off with a thing called uh, i think it's called something like service in the park yeah and it's a multi-faith uh, religious service and then following on from that is proms in the park and you've been able to buy your hampers in advance oh. for it so it's, it's been a bit more of a posh affair tomorrow I understand so so no no burgers and hot dogs it's oh. it's uh, sparkling wine trampers and uh, cucumber sandwiches yes and, and gin gin and pims oh gin yes gin and pims Gin, gin seems to be a thing at the minute, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the, the in thing, yeah. 
gin with just about anything sort of mixed in with it. Well, even to the extent that I noticed in one of the supermarkets the other day that they actually do gin and, and Prosecco flavoured ice lollies. <laughs> Sorry, that's my immediate reaction to that. <laughs> <laughs> but because it's the flavour of the month, as it were, yeah, yeah. they'll put, put it on anything. But yeah, so tomorrow is a different kind of feel to it. It's more uh, orchestral feel mm. to the proceedings and the music. But you can um, still come for free and sit in the, in the, on the grass where it breathes a picnic. Yeah. And enjoy the entertainment. Yeah. It's fantastic. Something for everybody. And then, of course, we can't forget our, our colleagues at uh, UK Astronomy doing their oh. stars in the park later on tonight. They've already been doing the, the solar gazing because the sun is really strong. I've seen my first live solar flare today. It's quite amazing, isn't it? It's, it was it was tiny, coming out about two o'clock out the side of the sun. But thanks to their optics and the filters that they've got in there, I was able to look at it directly and see all the details. You could see the corona, you could see the tiny little flares and then this great big flare coming off the side. Absolutely amazing. And uh, the kids just love it, don't they? Oh, yeah, there were kids swarming all over that. They, they <laughs> love it. Because what Russ was doing was putting on the, the viewing glasses, sort of really dark shaded. They're like, they look like 3D specs, you know the cardboard ones? Yeah. Green and red. Well, they're dark, and you can look at the sun with that through those. And you can look at it, and yeah, there's a big ball in the sky, and the rest of it's really dark. But you don't see any detail. And you look through this through this optic, through these optics, it just looks like a telescope. But it's got filters in it, obviously. Um, and yeah, I saw my first live solar flare. We actually got to interview some of the band. I mean, you were taking the photographs for me uh, on the day. And uh, the first band I got to interview was a band called Who's the Dog? Now, the quality on this isn't as good as I would like because we had a bit of a... Uh, a technology malfunction with the recorder at that point and I had to use my phone but it's still a good interview nonetheless so have a listen to this so I'm here at Live in the Park at Asbury Vale Park uh, for the Asbury Town Council and I am with Who's the Dog and uh, who have we got here we've got Andrea who's the singer and Lee Trumpet Trumpet so Describe the band. So we're a ten-piece uh, function band. We play um, for weddings and other functions, birthday parties, and some corporate dues. Play lots of fun, dancey numbers. Um, our repertoire covers all genres from the '60s to present day: rock, wow. pop, soul, funk, and disco. And what what would you say is most popular with the people when you perform? Well, there's loads of numbers that people love. Um, all the kind of classics, uh, disco classics particularly, get people up dancing. Um, a lot of the newer ones, uh, kind of uptown funks and happies and things like that, we get a lot of people um, filling the dance floor for those. Definitely. It's always fun. Definitely. And then obviously when we um, drag out the uh, older soul, like Rufa Franklin numbers, they, they always go down absolute storm as well. So how long have you been going? Well, this is our 20th year. Wow. It's uh, yeah, 1999. We officially formed in 1999. It was uh, an offshoot of a, a another band originally. And it was just known as the small band. Um, yeah, back in 98. But then it didn't actually like go, no, actually, let's give this a go. 
1990, Christmas 1999, got some gigs in London, and then it just took off from there. So it sounds like you actually go all over the place with, with the band. Yeah, it's good fun. It's because it's so much fun. Yes, that's what it's about. Actually, we we, if we're not having fun, then we can't expect our audience to be having fun. Awesome. Why the name? Uh, I don't know. Should we reveal that secret? (laughs) Um, When the band was formed, um, the original guitar player was quite miserable, and he used to wind everyone up. Um, And it's. Had the effects of uh, here we go, uh, here we go again. He wasn't and the bassist, was it? No, lead guitar uh, player. Right. Normally the bassist. And yeah. literally at one rehearsal, one of the original sax players said, "Oh, who's got the dog this week then?" <laughs> and it just stuck, really. I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, but that uh, works. That works. <laughs> <laughs> an inter- certainly an interesting name. There's a question that we always like to ask when we do these kind of things, and the, the question is, if you were on a desert island. And you had one album. What would it be? Uh, well, Lee will laugh because we don't do any Madonna, but mine would be Immaculate Collection. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm a girl singer. Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life. Wow, that's a heavy album. <laughs> that is a, that's a good choice, actually. There's a lot, so many covers of them done and stuff of that album. Yeah, as well. yeah you, you cannot fault anything Stevie does. Amazing. You can't. <laughs> but you, oh yeah, that's another one that fills the dance floor. Yeah. Or the Stevie Wonder. Stevie ones. Wonder. Um, yeah. Superstition, I imagine, would go down quite well. Yes. Yeah. So what's next for you? Um, we've got got some private functions coming up now. That's predominantly where our work is. We don't we don't often do public events like this because we're a ten-piece band, so we're, we're big. So we can't do pubs. Um, we have done pubs, and we do it's do pubs. And, it's quite, <laughs> wow. and it is quite funny getting a ten-piece band in a pub where they normally have a three or a four-piece. But yeah, we've got some weddings and corporate events coming up now in the cards for the rest of the year. But this kind of event is ideal for you because there's so many different genres of music that's actually played yeah. at this event that you fit in just perfectly. Well, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone seems to enjoy themselves. So. And with the sun, the sun as well. I mean, that just makes everybody exactly. in a good mood. It was a great day. Yeah. So, um, where can people get hold of you? Oh, uh, we've got a website, we've got Facebook, we've got Twitter. Um, who's got the dog? It's as simple as that, find just, us. Just type it in. Who's and got the dog? Uh, Twitter. There's no one else with that name. Yeah, no one else. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so it's uh, uh, wgtd.co.uk is the website. Um, underscore wgtd is Twitter. And who's got the dog? On is Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Excellent. Well, guys, it's been fantastic talking with you both. And I uh, hope to see you again somewhere. Yeah, brilliant, yeah. Stay in touch, look us up. Thanks yeah. very much. Definitely. So, yeah, that was Who's Got the Dog. Now, they were good fun to talk to. The, the thought of trying to fit ten, 10 people in a band into a pub, incredible. Yeah, I can imagine a bit of a squeeze, especially with a trombone. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, our mutual friend Andy Wood Mitchell does a lot of work with big bands mostly jazz and all that kind of stuff and he has some sort of you know eight ten twelve piece bands and stuff like that and you need a fair bit of space to fit everybody in Mm -hmm. so good on them well done to them (laughs) 
Now, the next band we spoke to were called the Gypsy Fingers. Ooh. So I'm back at Live in the Park 2019 and I'm with the Gypsy Fingers. How are you doing? Oh, really well. Really good, thank you. So, how would you describe your sound? Oh, it's eclectic. It's kind of a mixture of folk and rock. Um, it gets quite, when we play as a full band, it kind of a bit more progressive rock as well. And um, no, We call say? it ethereal folk yeah. rock. Uh, but there's there quite a lot of influences behind you know, Victoria and my sound and also Simon and Pat who are the other guys in the band yeah, Monday break. Um, but yeah I mean, Victoria is like classically trained pianist and French horn and vocalist and I've come from a more folk and rock background Simon's from a, a, <laughs> from a real like, rock I know three notes <laughs> I play them in the right order they seem to fit no he knows works, he yeah. knows five notes. <laughs> so do you do a lot of the, the festival scenes, like the folk festivals and that kind of thing? We do all sorts of stuff. We get invited to play lots of different places. We've been at we Rhythm played Tree. We Sidmouth Fringe Festival today. That was, so it was like a, Not today, a uh, couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and Rhythm Tree was a sort of folk festival, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah Rhythm Tree Then we really played nice. at Harlow White Festival and then we played at British Summertime High Park. And um, we just sort of, I don't know, wherever we get, <laughs> get asked. Yeah. Isle of Wight must have been pretty special. That was pretty nuts, and it was the 50th anniversary, that was so last year, so it was kind of special to be sort of, I don't know, on the bill for 50 years. It's quite funny though, because when we found out that we were playing on the hard rock stage, it's like, uh, they actually listen, but it was the hard rock cafe stage, because yeah. like, we're not. Uh, I wouldn't describe our music as hard. It's like the opposite of hard rock. <laughs> so, so you were worried about having bottles thrown at you and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it worked. We had a nice sort of mid-afternoon start, and it was really sunny like it is today. And yeah, we had a good time. It's been a brilliant day for the weather for for uh, live in the park. Um, so, so whereabouts are you you based? West so Londoners, really. Yeah, well, West London, but the band is is based. In, and I grew up in Denham in Buckinghamshire so yeah so not too far yeah so this is the question we always ask and it's one of those more whimsical kind of questions I suppose it's a bit like Desert Island Discs if you was on a Desert Island oh, okay. and you had one album what would it be? ok um, one Astral Weeks by Morris do we have to Fine. sit grabbing um, that one ok right, then. Um, you can do two if you want do you know what Probably take a couple of Beatles albums, maybe. You can have one. So this one, okay, one. You know, said you'd take a couple. Okay. <laughs> I think. Um, you can take her other one. Yeah. I'd probably take. I don't know Abbey which Road. one, but I probably. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I take a Beatles album. I just. There's always a, there's a song for everything, you know. And I just. I don't know. I never get bored of them. Probably the Beatles. Okay. And you? Led Zeppelin too. That dress. comes up so many times. I changed my super unknown sound guard. No, I'm going to ditch Van Morrison. Yeah, that's, yeah. That is a good album. The ship has yeah, sailed yeah. already, Simon. Yeah. You okay, left your right. record. I've left the National Exam. I'm fine with that. I could do with that for eternity. Yeah. So, how can people find you? Well, I mean, we're online, um, very much so, and um, we're quite approachable as well. I mean, we we talk to people online, we talk to our fans, we interact with people, and then we're on tour like. Quite a lot of the time, yeah. We started branching out around the UK last year, spring last year, I think. 
wasn't it? No, more than that. We've been on the road for like two years. Because we did a winter tour. Here we go. This is great audio, by the way. Welcome to the Gypsy yeah. Fingers world. Um, yeah. But this is kind of the way it works. We have different opinions and different influences. My, my that is the so. way a band works. And uh, we were running through, we just had a rehearsal with our drummer this morning. Um, he's had to go off and, and play another gig today. And we were booked as an acoustic act anyway for today. Um, but whenever we sit down and rehearse, like someone starts noodling and then a new a new idea, someone comes up with a new idea, and then it, that's when the magic really happens. So, yeah. you know, you've got four people who do their own thing, but when we play together, it just come up just with something happens, yeah. totally yeah. different. That's brilliant. So, so is that you're online, uh, so you're on most of social media and things like that as well? Or Sorry? You're on social media of as course, well? Of course, yeah, yeah, we use it. Pretty active on I mean, Facebook, pretty active Instagram. On Try not to get, like, too sort of sucked onto it. <laughs> Because, you know, it's all about live music for us and then trying to spend more time at gigs and actually meeting people face-to-face. But, yeah, we're well, no, definitely, like, Facebook's really cool because you, you can build up a community and you can have direct contact and kind of chats with fans. And, and also, when we, whenever we need help, like, you know, like, venue suggestions or, like, I don't know, just just sort of advice or something, we just put up a post and there's a community of people there to go, oh, try this, try that. And, and then, you know, Instagram's really fun visually... But I think for us, really, it's all about just doing as many gigs as possible and then like, communicating with people like, in a non-abstract sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and, and then saying hello afterwards. Yeah, but gypsyfingers.com has got the links to different social, whatever kind of social media you're into. It'll be there. And our mailing list as well. Send out an email. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for talking with us. Oh, thank you. And um, yeah, um, enjoy the rest of the day. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. I just loved the way that they were almost had a mini argument halfway through the interview. <laughs> That's what happens in bands. That's the dynamic. But they seem to work really well together. Very. Um, very creative musicians, um, but also very tight as a band. They came across as a bit... <laughs> can I use the word hippie? Um, I think they would probably describe themselves that way too. Yeah, they came across a little bit like that, but as you heard from the conversation, not at all like that. Very switched on, knew exactly what they were doing, and uh, a very, very good performance. And I got some great photographs as well from them. Yeah. As you probably have guessed the the album question comes up quite regularly and the the reason for that it's something that actually Liz introduced at the 2018 event but it was a great little way of you you can find out a lot about a band through their music that they listen to and their influences yes everybody in this society and, and these communities has so many influences musically so many wide influences you know we heard led zeppelin there but i'm sure there's a lot of folk um a lot of funk jazz blues it's all in there um, as it should be because everybody should get as wide a variety of music as possible i think definitely now the next band we spoke to we actually i didn't speak to the whole band i spoke to the the lead singer of a band um, and this guy was called Gary Mullins now at first when I heard he was coming on I thought I heard Larry Mullins who was in U2 a uh, different bloke completely um, <laughs> but um, this this guy's from a band called the Ukes of Hazard 
So we're back at Live in the Park 19 and I'm with Gary Mullins from the Ukes of Hazard. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah, a little bit um, hot from this glorious weather, but uh, very good. It's always fun to get the ukulele out. Yeah, it's a really strange thing because people obviously associate the ukulele with the, the likes of your George Formbys and all that kind of stuff, which is more like a banjolele more than anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. But then you, uh, along came people like you know, Jason Mraz and people like that. But your set, you did have some Jason Mraz on Yeah, it, yeah. But it's such an eclectic collection of stuff. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing I love about the ukulele is um, uh, you, you could put, uh, like, play anything on it and it will sound good. You know, uh, I mean, obviously it's got its own sort of twist and, and, and flavour, you know. Um, yeah, jazz doesn't qu- quite sound the same when you play it on the uke, but um, but that's part of the charm of it, you know. Uh, uh, so it's, it's quite fun to take things that you wouldn't expect to hear on the ukulele, like uh, like ACDC or like Motorhead, um, <laughs> you know, and it, it, it always works, you know. You always um, have somebody uh, uh, like tapping their foot along to it and having a smile. Uh, so there's how many in the band there's so um the 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 band is is quite fluid so we'll often be uh performing as a duo or a trio or a quartet and um it it just depends on the requirements of 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 the event it's primarily um a group for uh, weddings and functions and things like that you know Uh, it's very popular for for those sorts of events uh, and so, you know, we build it so that it's it's quite flexible. Uh, so I've probably got like sort of 10 or 15 guys that will don the waistcoat and the necktie. And, uh, you know, they're, they're a bit of a crack team of ukulele players. And, uh, yeah, I've got, they're a very good, very reliable bunch. And they're not exactly the best of weather to be wearing a uh, cravat. No, yeah, it's... it's well, it's you wear it with pride, you know. Like, if, you know, come rain or shine, you know, you wear the waistcoat uh, with a with a smile, even though it sort of turns the heat up a little bit. It's <laughs> it's worth doing. So, how long have you got you guys been going? That's a very good question. I think it's something like uh, four years, maybe four or five years. Um, yeah, we we filmed our first video in a in a field in Wendover. Uh, with a cameo from a, a, a dog walker in the background, and uh, yeah, and we haven't looked back. Um, yeah, it's been very jolly. In fact, we did a, a video shoot in an aeroplane somewhere above uh, Oxfordshire, uh, playing "Learn to Fly" by the Foo Fighters. That was quite jolly. Cool. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little bit uh, freaky when your your pilot is banking pretty hard, um, but uh, yeah, fun nonetheless. So. What would you prefer to play of the different styles you do? What, what would you be, be your favourite kind of music? Um, oh, just on the ukulele specifically, um, I really like. Uh, I've got a, a, an arrangement of "Sex on Fire" that I really enjoy playing. Wow! Um, yeah, believe it or not, the ukulele sort of lends itself quite well to it. So, uh, so I've, I figured it out, and it, it, it sounds great, you know. Um, but no, I love I love things like um, Dakota. Uh, you know, uh, and and those kind of sort of mid two thousands rock tunes, a bit of Blink One Eight Two. You know, uh, we play Teenage Dirtbag by Wheatus, and yeah, it's it's just it's just fun. You know, anything any, anything that puts a smile on the face, and it's those sorts of tunes that really do it. You know, Brightside, Mr. Brightside, you could just sort of 
level the joint with a tune like that. And uh, I mean, it's the it's the song that's the strongest bit, you know. Yeah. Like that's the thing, you know. The, the song's great, and and however you present it is gonna is 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 gonna work. So the fact that we do it on the ukulele, um, it's it's just slightly different, but you know, super fun. So you're you're rushing off. You got another another gig? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's quite a local one to be fair. I mean, we're in Marsh Gibbon tonight, but you know we've 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 had uh, gigs in um, Italy and France this year, and uh, you know we've got uh, other inquiries for international bits. So uh, there's never a dull gig. You know, we we never know if we're going to be washed away, or if we're going to be flying, or if we're going to be cooked somewhere <laughs> you, know, um, you know or stranded on an island or something so um, yeah you never know never know what you're gonna get just let me on to my last proper question sure and this is one we asked everybody uh, if you was on the desert island yeah you had the choice of one album oh easy Grace Jeff Buckley okay cool easy yeah I mean I love that album there's so much detail in there the songwriting's magnificent I mean like it's a tragic story about Jeff you know how he sort of died you know way before his time but the the legacy of that album is uh, just in- incredibly special so I mean uh, back in the days when you could buy CDs in, in, in shops for £5 it'd be the best £5 you ever spent Right. So how can people get hold of you? Uh, well, you can find us uh, on Facebook. Uh, that's probably uh, you know a good way. I mean, um, the best way, to be fair, is through our website, which is just ukesofhazardband.co.uk. Uh, that'll be us, and that'll come through to me, and uh, you know we'll, we'll play any event. <laughs> well, also, the, the logo. Awesome throwbacks <laughs> at the TV show. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I haven't had a lawsuit yet, so I think we're getting away with it. <laughs> Well, Gary, it's been a pleasure talking with you. You too. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you again soon. Yeah, let's hope so. Take care. Thanks. Cheers, ma'am. Yeah, they were fantastic, the Ukes of Hazard. I mean, when they started playing, we were actually having lunch uh, Mm -hmm. around the back, and they were playing some really amazing tunes that you wouldn't expect to be playing (laughs) on a ukulele. I would hear a ukulele. And we just looked at each other as to say... We need to go around the front and have a look at this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was great fun. They were on the smaller stage. Yeah. Um, but it was just perfect for them. Absolutely perfect. And uh, for me, it was one of the outstanding performances of the day, to be honest, because it was simple. It was entertaining. They were having fun. The audience were having fun. And in the end, that's all that matters. No matter about the instrument, it's it's how you play it, and as long as you have fun. Yeah, because one of the guys was playing a board, wasn't he? Just tapping on a board to get the rhythm on it. Yeah, that's right. So you, nice, it, simple. That's how I like it, because I'm a simple guy. <laughs> now, there's one guy I wanted to mention quickly before we carry on. Uh, I didn't get an interview with him. He's, he's, the guy's name is Krista Ambassador, and he's a reggae artist. And I put messages out to all different people that were performing over that weekend and say, would you like to do an interview with us? And he actually got my message after he'd come off stage. And uh, he sent me a message saying, oh, you know, thank you for, you know, wanting to interview me. I'm, I'm, 
I'm sorry, he said, I've been having problems with my phone and this, that and the other. Which was nice of him to come back to me with it. So I'd just like to promote him because he's got a new single out, which is called R.I.P., which is not as downhearted as that sounds. He's basically saying, it's a, it's a positive song saying, rest in peace to my pain, rest in peace to negativity, that kind of stuff. Ah, so it's upbeat, as you'd expect from a, from a reggae artist. Fantastic. So the next group that I spoke to were called Vandervilles. I must remember not to call them the Vandervilles. They're just called Vandervilles. So I'm back at live in the parking with the Vandervilles. Is it the Vandervilles or Vandervilles? Vandervilles. Right. And so who have we got? So so we go we go from right to left. Yeah, uh, so Paul on vocals. Yeah, Chris on bass. Neil on piano and guitar. Andy on drums. So, how long have you guys been going? From about 2015, the initial kind of lineup, and then Andy joined us a little bit later, and uh, that's we've been like that for about two years two now. Years like yeah, this. As we are, is this? Yeah, this is our kind of most solid setup, isn't it? Yeah. So about two years. Yeah. So, how would you describe your sound? Uh, difficult one. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, we, we take lots of inspiration from different things, you know. So we've got lots of like rock influences like kind of I know Andy's like into his uh, yeah, lo- yeah loves a bit of grunge but also like the Who and Led Zeppelin and stuff but um, I've got reggae influences um, Chili Peppers funky rock sort of stuff um, low blood Portishead um, stuff that kind of so, yeah with me when I listen to stuff it's the vocals I'm listening to so I want stuff that's going to touch me if that makes sense so that's why not, not literally um, so yeah so I want that's when, I'm, when we're writing stuff I want to I want, to, want the, the words to mean something so the lyrics are everything to me so the, the words can take quite a long time to come up and I want to like reach out and like so do all of you have a, an input in uh, the writing yeah I would say so like I think different songs start different ways a lot kind of just start on guitars and vocals and then we kind of take it to the whole band and it kind of it always kind of morphs from there into something different so kind of everybody you know there's suddenly a bass line comes in and the whole song changes or a, or a drum fill or something so it's kind of yeah it starts with a kind of the DNA and it kind of builds out from there so it's kind of it grows sort of organically yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll have like little chill out sessions so like a cup of tea and biscuits very rock and roll we're all driving you know so um <laughs> So yeah, so we, we yeah we kind of just get around, just acoustic guitars, cup of tea, and just just come up with like share ideas, and, and it kind of goes from there, and then we bring it to the rehearsal rooms and, and fill it out, and we either bin it or we, we keep it, or quite often ideas will merge into two songs sometimes, you know, yeah. try and cram too many ideas in. So, what kind of um, venues do you normally do? Is it, do you do a lot of festivals and stuff? Or? done a couple of summer festivals i'd say we're getting more traction there now kind of as we're, we're we've just written this ep um so we've kind of created an online web experience with that and i think that's enabled us to kind of show what we can do a lot more than before where it was kind of like oh, we had nothing really recorded and we had these sort of scratchy iphone videos of like here we are live and um so now yeah we've got a few festivals played astonbury um just down the road last week which is really yeah, cool yeah. And, um Oh, Aston Clinton Beer Festival we played yeah. just before that, so yeah, we're in the Hillsbury area. I'm really yeah. grateful to like Park Life to have this opportunity, you know, so we're, we're thinking yeah. now, hopefully this can give us, just help us, you know, get some more traction, people can listen to us live and see us live, and hopefully, like, next year, hopefully we'll, we'll get some more festivals, and um, 
It yeah. really is an amazing event, to be honest with you. Yes. Yes. I mean, to what they put on for free. Yes. Um, it is. Uh, you, you can't fault it because it's so well organised. Um, now, there's a question I like to ask, uh, and we do it to every artist that we, we speak to, and it's one of these whimsical kind of... Well, I'll put it to you. Um, it's going to get badly. <laughs> <laughs> You're on a desert island. You've got one album each. What would it be? It's quite, for me, it's relatively straightforward. It's definitely a Pearl Jam album. Probably the first one, 10, my Pearl Jam. Yeah, my, no, are we all together on this desert island? No, no, I can listen to his. Yeah, yeah, no, I can only on my own island. So, on my own, right, only one. Well, yeah, well, yeah. well, if you don't like it, you can go. I suppose you can get a boat <laughs> and just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tom Hanks just a little yeah. rowboat. Get out of there. <laughs> I'm next. I, I think I gave 30s, that's it. Streaks. Okay. I'm kind of an indie background. Cool. Yeah. Yes, I would probably say. Um, I have a live album of Eric Clapton uh, at Madison Square Gardens and it won't inspire me to play guitar, so I take that. Okay. That's a good reason. Um, I'm probably torn between Blood Sugar Sex Magic Chilies and uh, Legend of Bomani. So I, I, I can't, I can't split them. Both half classes? Half, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, half the first album. Half the second. Yeah. That's brilliant. So, how can people find you? So uh, the main place is our website, uh, vandervilles.com, and it's V-A-N-D-A-V-I-L-S, Vandervilles. Um, our Facebook page is probably our main um, sort of most active social media, so that's uh, at Vandervilles on the Facebook. Yeah, we're on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, all the good stuff. All the usual places. Yeah, all the usual stuff, yeah. And uh, what's next for you guys? Some more writing, I think. We have a lot of songs in the pipeline so I think now you know we've done a few festival gigs get back in you know back with our cups of tea back with the pad of paper and do some writing and then maybe another EP I think yeah. Yeah. And, and polish the show as well you know we've yeah. got so many ideas you want to add some like backing vocals and other lines and different things so just just to make the show even bigger and better and, and yeah. yeah have some gigs gigs before the years out Still no, plenty of time. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Get back uh, playing in live soon. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for talking with us. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure, man. And uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Yeah. yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Once again, great artistry. Uh, they worked hard up there on that stage because it was ridiculously hot. Yeah. But yeah, those guys coming together. Did you hear the variety of music that they listened to? Yeah. I mean, to be able to choose a toss-up between the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Bob Marley, you can't get any more (laughs) points apart, can you, really? (laughs) Well, no, exactly. (laughs) One thing I will say right now, I want to thank Neil from Vandervilles because he actually sent us some tracks to play into the show. So I'm going to play a song now, and it's called Nusson Uni. Your life will touch your mind is 
going to play another one a bit later on it's going to fit in very nicely with a little segment later on in the show Crichton what are you doing man oh sir I'm listening to the garbage pod it's a podcast I found in the podosphere the next band we spoke to were called NBS so we're back in live in the park and uh, I'm with uh, NBS and we got Hayley, Andy and Dan from the band. Hello! How you all doing? Yeah, really good. good. Yeah, really hot and sweaty. So you've just literally got off the stage. Yeah. How was that for you? Ladies first. Um, it was really good. It was ridiculously hot. Um, but the crowd were really good, especially because they sat straight in it and happy all day. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Lots of fun. Um, always can't hear it very well when you first go on but it was great yeah really good fun just wanted to try and get people to enjoy themselves because some of the original music's been on before has been amazing but it's been quite deep and meaningful so we thought we'd be a bit cheesy and get everyone having a bit of fun no, same as you can't, can't say anything this guy's great fun that was one hell of an eclectic set there you got everything that was included in there really yeah you should try seeing us when we do a two hour set it gets even worse <laughs> or a three hour set <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of evolved like that. We, um, we, when we formed, we made two rules. One, we were never in rehearse, which we'd never do. Um, and the other is that Andy chooses the songs, and now Hayley as well. Um, so the whole point is to get people into it. If I chose the songs, it'd be like 15 minute guitar solos. So <laughs> it's really like, right, up. And if we do a song, it's out. Alan. It's out. He's run away. Run away. That was out. <laughs> so, MBS, what does it stand for? Well, when we when we started the band a long, long time ago, I'm not going to tell you how long ago because it make us really old. It was for, it was called Natural Born Sinners, and we decided it was a bit rubbish, so we abbreviated it to MBS. So it can be whatever you want. Okay. No, no, I won't blooming songs. Or <laughs> but actually, we sound like a sofa company, don't we? This My mum tells everyone I'm in a band called Na- Natural Born Singers. Nice. No, it's nice. <laughs> like that. It's she nice. does change it sometimes. But I think it happened like that because um, originally it was me and the drummer from the original Sinners and Andy was from the band from Born Idol. So we just kind of mixed it and put a natural born killer thing to oh, that's, it. That's cool. Yeah. It's a bit rubbish. But... Yeah, we were in rock bands back in the day when we were young and silly. So yeah, it was all good fun. All when, good. when you were young and silly, you're not silly now. I'm <laughs> silly now. <laughs> yeah, I always like to say getting older is compulsory but growing up, mate. That's yeah. a <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> So, how would you define your sound? Noisy. <laughs> Loud. Energetic. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think bringing Hayley into the, into the band has been great because she's got a bit of class and she can sing properly. Um, but before that, we're just a party band, you know, we're, we're all from rock backgrounds. I mean, we play an eclectic group of songs, but we're used to watching bands live that get people jumping around. We're used to watching rock bands that want people to really go for it. So I, I guess we just try and have fun and do that. And then we've got a little bit of class now to hold it, you know, to bring us back. Yeah, into yeah I, I think we never want to be elevated music. Yeah. But you, you certainly pick some songs that have got some level to them. I mean, you know, taking on Queen and and um, Guns N' Roses and stuff like that, and then going to things like uh, Footloose or something like that is just, you know, from one, from one end of the spectrum to yeah, the other. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, everybody knows Freddie's voice. and it's, Yeah, it's, sorry, Freddie. It's very powerful. <laughs> no, you did a great job. <laughs> but it, it is great to see because, I mean, you look around, you look at the crowd and the energy that you're portraying to the crowd and they're bouncing it straight back it's, yeah, it's to be honest, I could see. see the crowd that well it was so bright yeah you see some people jumping around at the front and you know what it's like it's difficult because people are sitting down it's hot and you can't tell whether they're enjoying it or not but it was good to see some people at the front having fun and that's all we want to do I know it sounds cheesy but it's always much more enjoyable when the people that you're singing yeah. to have fun yeah. and, and I think on, on the musical level um, I've developed so much as a guitar player over the years by being forced to play so many styles and actually sometimes we choose songs just for the challenge of it, just for the sake of doing it, just to see if we can. And it doesn't always work, there's, there's been songs we tried that don't work, and we say, okay, do you know what, we suck at this, and we just don't do it again. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's good fun, it's great for development, and, um, and, and actually the, the, the best songs tend to be the hardest to play as well. And I didn't get into this to stand there playing like two chords, or like, I've done that in the past, it boils your head. <laughs> so there's a question I, I always ask all the artists, and it's one of those kind of more whimsical kind of questions, kind of like Desert Island Discs. Right. So I'm going to say you're on a, you're on a Desert Island, mm-hmm. you've got one album, what would it be? Oh, I don't know. For me it's easy. Go on. What Snake 1987. Okay. <laughs> It's a real struggle, but I'll make a decision. I'll go for Sonic Temple by the Cult. Wow, that's heavy. 
I love Skid Row, but it's got, it's got memories for me, Sonic Temple. I actually have no clue. I'd have to make my own and take that one list. So you'd have your own like, little pl playlist? <laughs> yeah. Take a playlist. I'll put together a playlist, yeah. Because <laughs> you know you're going to be shit Well, that's, that's me all over. I'll, I'll bend the rules. Be prepared, exactly. Yeah. So, what's next for you guys? Hot bath. Um, uh, um, yeah, have a shower. Yeah. What's the band? We've got lots of gigs next year, this year. It's great with Hayley in the band because it gives us a different dynamic. We can do gigs together, we can do gigs separately. Um, and we can do lots of great material like we did tonight that we wouldn't normally do. I don't normally, I would kill Adele, so it's amazing. To, give it a great go, what about it? Yeah, so, <laughs> so I yeah. guess, yeah, more of the same, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, th I mean th th this is a great, um, great stage to perform on, a great vehicle. Um, so, you know, you, you pick up big and better things from the level that you're at. And, um, yeah, we're very happy with what we're doing at the moment, but um, this would be a great, great tool to you know, get some... I think the key, the key for me is to enjoy it. Yeah. I don't ever like going anywhere where it becomes a point of we can't have fun. Yeah. So the main thing is spreading joy and having fun. And so. without getting too deep, we've got nothing to prove because... Yeah. You know, he's been in bands for years and he got signed, Hayley was signed. I toured around the back in a transit van during the 90s and got drunk at smacking on my head for <laughs> too long. Life, so, I'm sure. so, so, you know, we've sort of done that bit, you know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just good we've to had, have a bit We've of had fun. the pressure cooker. Yeah. yeah. This is all about It's good fun. fun, just have a bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I always say, because if, if anything becomes a chew, it's it's not worth doing. Yeah, anyway. yeah exactly. So, exactly. yeah. So, how will people get hold of you? Go on, Daniel. Website, mbsband.co.uk. Um, Facebook, we're MBS Band Horicum. Um, Lemon Rock. Lemon Rock. Um, so lemonrock.com forward slash MBS. Um, Lemon Rock's huge. You can sign up for a lot of gigs so people know we're playing. Um, yeah, lots of different formats. And uh, yeah, drop us messages, say hi, post videos, uh, recommend us, and book us. Yeah, come and see us. When we play smaller gigs, when I get off the stage, I get people singing. Come and, come and yeah. grab the microphone. Come and do some singing. And, and actually, Andy's hey, very good. He's quite full sort of the stage. He's, he's, he's not, you know, he's still tackling and it'll just go. Um, <laughs> one of my biggest fears, I haven't fell over on stage yet. Brilliant. So, guys, thanks for talking with us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, Thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, well, yeah, we look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thanks. So, yeah, MBS, they were very energetic. Very. Yeah. MBS, excellent stuff. Now, at this point, you had travelled like two hours to get to Aylesbury for the event, so you'd covered most of it. It was time for me to hit the road. <laughs> and I carried on. So the next band I interviewed was Little Brother Eli. So I'm back at live in the park, and I'm with the band called Little Brother Eli. How you doing, fellas? Yes, yeah, very good. Thank you. Right, so let's go from left to right. Who have we got? My left, stage left, uh, Adam, and I play guitar. I'm Benji, I'm playing the drums. I'm Alex, I'm singing. I'm Josh, and I play bass. So, where did you get the name from? It's from a film, it's from a film called There Will Be Blood, uh, which is a Daniel Day-Lewis film. Um, there's these two characters. One is called uh, James, and the other brother is called Eli. And Eli is down on his luck, and he's a bit of a, a bit of a run to the litter. So we, uh, you know, obviously connected with that. Resonated with, resonated with us. So, um, so yeah, that's where it's from. Cool. So, how would you describe your sound? 
Oh, sorry. what a tricky question. There's, um, it's disco, isn't it? Yeah, we've moved to, we, we started off, most of the documentation on the internet says bluesy rock, but we've moved towards disco and electro. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, very melodic and um, it's, it's pop music. It's pop music. Yeah. Unpopular pop music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unpopular pop music. Okay. Because I was picking up on certain tracks. There's a little bit of like, Red Hot Chili Peppers in there. Oh. oh, yeah. Josh loves the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, yeah, my favourite band. Yeah. So I was picking up a little bit of that. Oh, vibe. you're hearing it. And uh, there's a lot of other styles in there as well, which is fantastic because you're like a, a, a fusion of lots of different things put together. But it's very high energy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we like to have a good time. And I've got no instrument to play, so I need to kind of flail my big lanky arms and legs around. So um, that's that's kind of the thing. But we just we're just up there having a good time and having uh, a right daft laugh. That's what being in the band's all about, though, isn't it? Yeah, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> and a few arguments. And refreshments. <laughs> free water. I mean, if it's free water. Now, uh, how long have you guys been together? A long time now. I reckon maybe six, six years. At least. At, yeah, least, at, least, six, at least six years. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And uh, what kind of circuit do you do? Is it mostly venues like this? or? Well, we are. We tend to do a heavy festival season. So we'll, we've done this year, we've done Cornbury and we've done the big festival. In fact, we did that yesterday. Um, and then some more local festivals. And then we tend to, we, we did used to gig very heavily all over the country and uh, we built up a fantastic fan base doing that. And now we tend to play fewer gigs uh, with more emphasis on putting on like high quality shows with to our, to our existing fan base and we, we play in Oxford a lot, which is where um, kind of most of our fan, loyal fan bases, we were super, super lucky. Um, and yeah, so we, we like to play at the O2 Academy in Oxford and kind of tend to do like a Christmas show there. Not like a Christmas <laughs> show, just a show at Christmas time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, mostly around Oxfordshire. Yeah. What's next for you guys? What, what have you, what's in the books for you guys lately? We are releasing a live album. We're going to do a screening of the live album because we filmed it all. So we're going to do a screening at Modern Art Oxford. So we've got a live album coming out and we've also got a bunch of singles that are going to follow that as well yeah as Alex said we've got our Christmas show at the end of the year as well excellent now I've got a question that I ask everybody Uh, it's kind of a muso question if you like a bit like Desert Island Discs Mm -hmm. you're stuck on a desert island Mm. you've got one album what Mm. would it be is it a collective album or we have one album you can have one album are we together that depends. Somebody else said, um, "Do I have to be with the rest of this lot?" That's, that is a good question. <laughs> do, do you have an, anyone has an, have an instant answer? Queens of the Stone Age, Songs of the Death. That would be my album I could listen to again and again and again and again yeah. and again and again and again and again. And again. <laughs> I could I could listen to Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Chili's over and over again. Hey, without that's getting a good choice. You can have the same one as me, mate. Yeah, you I don't have to think for yourself. Well, my, <laughs> that's a cool. My uncool option is Middle of the Road. Uh, rock, John Mayer, uh, continuum. <laughs> I think I would go with Maroon Five songs about Jane. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, that's what I'd go. interesting choice. Yeah, I remember buying the album so it had a picture of a naked lady on the front Bloody of it. Yeah. I bought it from go. HMV, and I was like, it's my first ever album. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm always. But not one. about the music. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
how, how did you guys get into music? What, what inspired you to get into music? I, I think I got, in a weird way, I got Alex into music. It was the women, mostly. Yeah, mostly <laughs> for the, the chicks. Uh, me and Alex have been in a band for a long time. Me and, me and the, my neighbour formed a band and then Alex came and joined. And then that band eventually broke up. But me and Alex have continued making music. Uh, I probably will continue making music forever, which is a nice thing, unless we fall out. Unless we get stuck on a desert island. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Listen> <laughs> to the same album on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> the same two albums. Yeah. What about you guys? Well, we all sort of met incestuously, I suppose. Not not in that case. <laughs> As in, I think I, I played in bands with the bass player, Josh, in school. And then eventually, uh, Josh put, put... There were two circles that Josh had, and he put the, them together. Like a Venn diagram. Maybe not three yeah. circles. Venn diagram. Was it three? Yeah, three. Yeah, or more. three circles, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was like homelessness, I think, wasn't it? it got you <laughs> I don't really know. I can't remember. It's too long ago. Well, I met you in prison, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you left <laughs> in the shower. We we met in a, a, a very interesting band yeah, that I used to play, um, which we won't go into too many details. In. Yeah. But, Fair enough. Yeah. Friends of friends. Yeah. Musicians find, I think, generally are quite socially awkward, so probably most people get into it to make friends. That's <laughs> <laughs> just really true. Yeah. I guess I'm playing in jazz. It's, not, it's, it's, it's not worked out because we've only made three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How can people get hold of you? Oh, it's so easy. If you just look, with the only thing that comes up, if you look for Little Brother Eli online, on Spotify, on Instagram, um, or, or on iTunes, however you find your music, just search for Little Brother Eli and we'll be there. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it'll be, our music will be there. We'll be there, our music will be there, our faces will be there. Um, and that's, that's the best, I think that's the easiest way. Just look for Little Brother Eli, it's super easy. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for talking with us. Thank, thank, thank you for talking thank with you. us. And uh, hopefully, I'll speak with you all again soon. Great. Thank, thank you very Bye. much. Bye. Cheers. They were real good fun to talk to. And uh, that energy that they put into the interview really comes across in their music as well. So, yeah, I enjoyed their set immensely. So, we're coming to the end of the evening. And the last artist that I spoke to was a guy called Jamie Felton. Right. So, we're coming to the end of Live in the Park. And uh, it's getting quite late now, and I'm in a field, basically, in the, actually in the park itself, with Jamie Felton. How are you doing? All good, all good. How are you? I'm doing all fine, good. I'm doing fine. It's so, a good day. It's been brilliant. It's been hot, but it's been bet, brilliant. Yeah, it's been boring, hasn't it? I'm surprised I'm not sunburned. <laughs> I, I came well prepared for that. I've, yeah. I've got Factor 50 on <laughs> and stuff. And, and yeah. somebody bought me a hat because they were That's worried. Good. I was wearing a hat on stage as well at some point for, for the country song, yeah. <laughs> so, how have you found today? Awesome, awesome, yeah. Uh, the bands that we've seen have been incredible, including Callo Saints on now, as the audience can probably hear in the background. Um, but yeah, so they're awesome. And then, um, really well organised and everything. Um, and yeah, had a, had a blast, it was all good. So, how would you describe your, your music? Uh, so the stuff we did today, it's um, it's a load of different genres basically. So you know we start off with a sort of feel-good rock song. Um, we go into a bit of soul jazz in the second song. Then some funk. Um, then there was some Spanish guitar. Um, then a country song. Uh, what else? A bit more, a bit more sort of rock and roll type stuff. A bit of Latino. Um, and a feel-good pop song uh, to end it. So a load of different genres. 
um, and trying to keep it interesting that way, I suppose, yeah. So you were on the, the Mix 96 acoustic stage. Yes. Is that different for you normally, or, or is acoustic something you're happy with? It's, oh, yeah, completely. Usually I play in pubs to, like, six people or something, so this was mega for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. Um, but, no, um, all good. Lots of, lots of space to move around, as I like to do some dancing and stuff like that <laughs> so uh, so no it was all good all good it was really good actually because you, you, unfortunately you, you got the other members of the uh, of your of your band that you had with you and uh, you had somebody on flute and yeah. all that comes along which gives it a, a completely different vibe yeah. adding that kind of sound to it yeah so I've known Carol was on flute She's uh, with, I've known her for six years or so um, she just came into a, a gig I was doing six years ago and um she just happened to have her flute on her and then we started doing um, she said she asked if she could play and you know that was fine so we did a bit of uh, I think it was whiskey in the jar or something like that oh, some sort of folky yeah. thing um, and a bit of brown eyed girl Van Morrison that type of thing so yeah so we've known each other a while yeah. <laughs> but no she's she's a legend she's really nice yeah so you say you do a lot of gigs and pubs and things mm. like that so how, how far do you travel out to, to do gigs? Oh, I'll go anywhere. I mean, the furthest I've gone for a solo gig is, is Bath. Um, so from Oxford to Bath, you know, just under two hours, something like that. Um, Southampton, I was there a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, what else? Bracknell, they're the sort of furthest. But, you know, that's that's quite rare that I'm sort of that, that far. Usually it's sort of half an hour uh, radius of, of Oxford where I'm based. So, so no, it's all right. So doing a gig like this, um, is, is festivals something that interests you? Oh, 100%. Festivals are the best. Yeah, 100%. Um, like I said, it beats, <laughs> beats playing in a pub to six people. Um, so, you know, a great crowd and everything. They're all here for the music anyway. Um, having a blast, getting drunk, so that's what it's about. So, yeah, it's yeah, always it's the best festivals, you know. <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, this, this event is... Well, I wouldn't say fairly unique because there are some other free events out there, but this is mm-hmm. totally free exactly, to, to yeah. the public. And it brings the community together, I yeah. think, as well, doesn't it? So, That's it. Yeah, I don't know how many people have, have been here today. I'd, I'll have to find out from, from yeah. Ruth, the organiser, because last year they had 7,000. 7,000? So I think there's going to be more than that this year uh, because of really? the weather. Yeah, yeah. So, Plays a massive factor, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, it's been glorious. But um, I, I'm going to ask you a question. I've asked everybody here today the same okay. question. Yeah. And it's a, it's a bit of a, what I call a muso question. Right. Uh, it's kind of like desert island discs, okay. where if you were stuck on a desert island yeah. and you had one album, mm-hmm. what would it be? Oh, I would go for my childhood favourite album, which is Green Day's American Idiot. Oh, right. um, 100%. I mean, you know, Battle of Hell, Meatloaf, that's got to be a conden- contender... Um, yeah, pr- probably one of those two. Yeah, probably the Green Day. They're they're my sort of childhood favourite band. Yeah. Awesome. Uh-huh. So, how do people get hold of you? Uh, on Facebook, it's Jamie Felton Music. Spotify, Jamie Felton. Uh, website, JamieFeltonMusic.com. Um, I've never worked out Twitter. I've just always it never is a, a bit of a never got on it. Yeah. I think it's more for famous people as well. They sort of tweet. <laughs> um, 
yeah, Instagram as well, Jamie Felton97. There's an underscore between the Jamie and the Felton. So it's Jamie underscore Felton. Is that right? Jamie underscore Felton97. That's the yeah, one. That's yeah. The one. <laughs> yeah. Those four things, basically. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's next for you? Uh, next up, I'm actually joining another band. I'm joining a function band um, as a drummer. So we're going to play weddings and parties and things like that. Um, that's up next. We're going to continue with the originals bands, which we did today. Um, just trying to get more music festivals, more music venues, um, like the O2 in Oxford or something like that, or the Bullens in Oxford. Um, so that's what's next. I'm gonna. I'm releasing an EP either at the end of this year or next year, early next year, hopefully. Um, I don't want to put a deadline on it because I'll probably be running late with it. You know, <laughs> you know how it is. Um, so you know, an EP, a function bands, keeping it going with the originals bands, um, and yeah, all of that. And it's really good that I've noticed that you're you're selling actual physical copies of your music yes. at venues as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, so um, CDs there are £4. I think, I mean, you know, most people say, I don't have a CD player anymore. But then I say, do you have a car? And they say, yes. And then they they think, oh yeah, they do have one, you know. So, um, so no, old-fashioned way, that's the best way, you know. (laughs) It's on, you know, it's all on Spotify as well and iTunes and Amazon and all all the online distributors and things like that. Um, But, you know, can't beat your CD. Uh, Well, actually, it can't beat a vinyl. That's the way it's going, isn't it? You know. That's the way it's going, isn't it? I've still got got my old vinyl. The player, yeah. uh Yeah, and uh, there's something... There's something warm about listening to vinyl yeah. that you don't get on any other format. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard, I've heard. Like it sounds, it sounds better. I mean, I don't have one myself. But, um, and also because you've got that big 12-inch uh, artwork as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and you don't get that with an MP3. And, and the little thing you get on a CD, but when you see it on a big 12-inch picture, yeah, which exactly. you could hang that on your wall, and that's, that's a plus. Exactly, artwork. exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, there's a there's a John Mayer album. I can't remember what it's called, but um, but he really went to town with the design element of the album cover and the vinyl cover of it, and it is you know impeccable. It is incredible. There's all the gold colours. They they got a proper artist to design it and and everything like that. Um, they really went to town with it. Yeah. I can't remember I, what it's called. <laughs> I still love... Uh, I know you can do it with CDs as well, but I still love going through the production notes yeah. and seeing who produced this and Line which artists were on that album with yeah. instruments and things. Yeah. I love looking through that mm-hmm. stuff. Because yeah. you'll be surprised who appears on whose albums. Mm-hmm. It's amazing stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think you know, there's so many like songwriters associated with uh, with all the hits these days. I think like Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson. Yeah, it's got like eight writers in it or something. Um, well, in the '80s, yeah. there was a, a singer called Kathy Kathy Dennis, mm-hmm. and and she had a few hits herself. Mm-hmm. And through the '90s and the noughties, she wrote songs for the cheesy artists like your S Club 7s and, oh, really? and she was responsible for Kylie Minogue's Can't Get You Out of My Head really? so, and, and she started off as a you know solo singer in, in the 80s yeah. and then everyone thought what happened to her yeah. people don't realise these people go into production mm-hmm. they're not you know, they're, they're not disappeared they're just doing yeah. things behind the scenes yeah exactly and then the, the probably most famous or successful ghostwriter is uh, Max Martin yeah. who wrote you know Hit Me Baby One More Time and all the One Direction songs and everything. Yeah. Um, he's, he's not famous, but God, he's got a life, you know, as in, like, oh, he's yeah. as rich as anything. For sure. Um, so, no, he's doing all right for himself, yeah. yeah. But he's been doing it for years, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right.
right, Jamie, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, and yourself. Thanks and so much. Um, hopefully get to speak to you again sometime. Yeah, 100%. No, I'd love to. That'd okay. be great. Cool. Thanks a lot. Cheers. So Jamie Felton, genuine guy, really nice to talk to. He had a lot of things to do because he was on his own. He was packing things up and this, that, and that. And he said, come back and speak to me in 20 minutes, half hour or whatever. And he genuinely wanted to speak to me. He came back. As I say, we went way back behind the stage in the field, but you could hear there how loud that was. I'd like to thank Ruth Mayhew and all the volunteers and organisers of Live in the Park. And also, we have been given permission by FBL Broadcasting to put up links to all the videos from Live in the Park that FBL Broadcasting recorded during the day. So you can watch the bands as well. Not only that, they also recorded the proms in the park on the Sunday. So you can watch that also. Alan, it's always a pleasure working with you at events and I hope we can collaborate more in the new year. It was a fantastic day and it's also been fantastic to join you this evening. Thank you very much. Right, we're going to have another short break and when we return I'll be joined by my regular TGP nominal co-host and someone not so familiar. Crichton, what's in this box? It looks like a small red dwarf garbage pod, sir. What? A full one? No, sir. We stopped using the small ones a long time ago. Well, let's open it then. Oh, God, that stinks. I thought you said it was empty. Sorry about that, sir. Sometimes the little suckers get away. That's disgusting. Oh, no. It won't close. There's a message, sir. Say, Merry Christmas Garbage Pod to close. Ah, Crichton, you know I hate Christmas. It's the only way, sir. Well, I'm not going to do it. That stench. Come on, sir. You can do it. Just a little one. Ah, yeah. Okay, anything just to get it closed. Merry Christmas garbage pod. Look, sir, it's working. There now, sir. That wasn't so bad, was it? Merry Christmas, Garbage Pod. Bye-bye, little fella. Hi, this is Zach Allegan, and you're listening to the TGP Podcast. Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome back to this special episode of the Garbage Pod Stroke TTP Nominal Christmas Crossover. Now, I can't do this without a certain person, and that would be Mr. Burger. How are you doing, sir? Mark? Mark, is that you? You're here this time? I don't have to fly solo now? Sweet! Good. Here, you take the controls back. How was that for you, by the way? Well, I mean, it's not like I don't have experience doing a podcast solo, so it wasn't that big of a deal. (laughs) 
it's different and and it's really good to hear it from this side of it seeing your interpretation of it it's really cool my interpretation (laughs) what does that mean interpretation of the, the format let's put it that way Okay, I thought it was pretty close was to what good. we normally it do. It was good. I'm not, I'm not knocking it in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah, it was different that we don't have each other to bounce off of. Yeah, but... yeah, that's for sure. I wanted to introduce someone right now. This is someone that I'm hoping will be coming on more regularly on the Garbage Pod. And that's Eddie Spangles. How are you doing, Eddie? I'm very good, thank you, gentlemen. How are you? Fine, yeah. I'm a bit worried. Oh, don't be. You were natural when we interviewed you for the uh, Field of Force Day episode last year. Yeah, but I know what I'm talking about kind of there. I've heard your podcasts and sometimes my brain just falls out my ears and I have to go, (laughs) I'll Google that, see what they're talking about. And uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're not hoping to be doing that kind of thing today too much yeah. because we're trying to combine the two podcasts together so we want to keep everybody happy that's the reason why we wanted to get you on the show because to get people knowing who you are basically that's lovely i mean when, when uh, you and john start talking uh, technical i'll just yes uh, when uh, <laughs> when needed if you need to ask questions just put your hand up and uh yep. <laughs> i'll wait my turn so we have a new honorary crew member sue nelson from the space boffins podcast and also the writer of wally funk's race for space is now one of our official honorary crew members Uh, we've now got the photograph of her with her patch and uh, she's going to be joining the rest of the crew on the wall nice and uh, she she writes books she does a podcast she does documentaries for the BBC and she's just recently won an award which we mentioned on uh, the December Skies podcast as well so yeah awesome I just wanted to ask people out there whether they enjoyed the latest TGP nominal extra which we put out about David Whiteley's galaxy that Breton built and um, I hope they enjoyed watching the show as well because Star Wars is such an amazing thing. So we're going to take a short break. We're going to play some more of the messages from well wishes and Christmas messages and things like that and uh, we'll be right back. Hello, this is Chris Lintar and I want to say Merry Christmas to all the TGP nominal listeners out there. Merry Christmas to everybody on TGP Nominal from Gareth Jones on Speed. Because it's December and we're getting ready for Christmas, we thought we'd do a little bit of investigating of a phenomenon that happened a few thousand years ago. Ross, what are we talking about here? The Star of Bethlehem. You know, something obviously happened because... The story is carried on today. So something must have happened in the sky for it to carry on and be recorded and stuff like that. On sort of like trudging through Google and lots of other things that I looked through, it's really interesting <laughs> what they actually kind of have pieced together because now luckily we have computer programs that can look back and see maybe what the sky was like. I mean, you can't be 100%, but... It's interesting. I thought it'd be quite cool just to have a, a fun read about what it could have been and, you know, what happened in the sky around that time. I'm under the impression there's probably about two or three different theories to what it actually is. 
there's about like six or seven different things that happened to make it happen mm-hmm. if you know what I mean <laughs> like kind of like it's more astrology but with astronomy it's kind of it's kind of strange we're putting them both together <laughs> which I might get shot for as an astronomer take it with a pinch of salt it's just for a bit of fun because it's Christmas but yeah if we go through it we can have a chat and see what you think first of all I just want to let everyone know that I'm not really religious in any way. I like to research online and read through several free sources that are on there about possible answers. And I actually found it quite fascinating by the end to me, both scientifically and sort of culturally, because they both kind of go together. So here we go. In the biblical Gospel of Matthew, it's said that a star appeared at the birth of someone called Jesus of Nazareth. You may have heard of him. It was also stated by Roman and Jewish historians as witnessed by ancient prophets at the time and the story still survives in a massive way today. So, some real astronomical event occurred around this time. But when and what? Well, if you look at when Jesus was born, it was during the reign of King Herod, which we've heard about, he's in the story as well. And most of the evidence from historians points to the king's death being around about 1 BC. So they reckon that Jesus must have been born around 3 to 2 BC, which gives us a time frame to start looking for any astronomical event around, you know, that sort of time that happened. Luckily, as I said, we're able to use computer programs nowadays to see how the sky looked at precise dates and locations in the past. But before we do this, we need to know a little bit more about this star and like the accounts from people about what it is or what it looked like or what it did. So the first one to give us an account of the star were the three men called Magi, which is translated means wise men, which also is where we get the word magic. They consulted the rulers for guidance on matters of court. Some were court astronomers who gave guidance according to the stars, now known as astrology. So Magi pretty much means wise man. Now the three wise men who ended up talking to King Herod on their journey, Herod himself wanted to know where they were going and why. So they stated to him that this star that was in the sky represented one birth, two kingship, and three a significance to the Jewish faith. Now, it's not the first time a Magi has told this. Apparently, in 63 BC, some Magi told the Roman Senate the same thing. And the same conclusion was made. The Senate ordered that all baby boys born were to be killed. Funnily enough, that's just as apparently King Herod did, according to the stories after hearing this, because he didn't want anyone to overthrow him. Now, throughout the Bible, there are other characteristics that the star had. They reckon that it rose from the east, as do most polar stars. It appeared at an exact time. Herod, who was a well-educated man, being the king, he wasn't stupid. He didn't know of it. So it wasn't anything unusual in the sky. It was obviously something that happens, but he didn't know about it. Uh, It endured over a long period of time, as the wise men witnessed it and were then able to follow it over several months. It was ahead of them as they rode from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is around five miles south of Jerusalem. And lastly, the star seemed to have stopped over Bethlehem. So by knowing all these facts, we can count out some other objects straight away. You've got meteors, they only last a few seconds, they appear from a radiant, they don't really rise and they don't stop. You've got comets, although they do rise in the east, they do endure a long time, in the duration they can be up for a while, they're generally perceived as a bringer of doom, not birth. 
like in 1066 when one appeared everyone kind of went crazy and they reckon that our morale was down which is why we lost 1066 the battle against the Normans that and the fact that we marched all the way south again after fighting I think it was a Viking army wasn't it we fought off but technically the Normans were Vikings anyway yes because the word Norman comes from the word Norseman yeah so actually I learnt that when I went to our trip oh, to York, York for that yeah. gala dinner <laughs> So yeah, we were technically conquered by Vikings, so there's probably a bit of blood somewhere in us somewhere. Oh yeah. Uh, Yes, so, because they appear to break the ordered motion of the stars and the planets, comets weren't really liked. They didn't like anything that was, you know, broke up the order of things. Uh, Also, there doesn't seem to be any comets recorded by the Chinese around that time who kept very good observations or any other civilizations that kept records of the time. Plus, King Herod would definitely have known about the appearance of a comet, and uh, he wouldn't have probably needed to have, have had to have asked the three magi that were strolling past. So what about supernova? Could it have been a supernova? Rises in the east, appears suddenly and endures for a while. But again, there were no records from the times that indicate any such event happened. Plus, Herod, again, would have noticed a new bright star in the sky. So, we're looking for something around 3 to 2 BC that was part of the normal sky, wasn't really notable to an untrained eye until its meaning was explained by three wise men. So let's look at the king of planets Jupiter as a star. In ancient times, Jupiter was seen as like a wandering star. You know, they didn't have technology to see it as a planet, so it went against the stars and moved around differently, so they called it wandering stars, or later on they called it gods, didn't they? Gods for all the planets' names and stuff. Yeah. So in the Middle East around September 3 BC, it's said to have had a close conjunction with the star Regulus, which means regal. The Babylonians actually call it Regulus Sharu. That's probably not how they say it, but that's how I'm saying it, meaning king. It also just happens that the Jewish New Year starts in September when this happened. So in the Jewish New Year, the king of the planets met this star of kings. Although this was a particularly close conjunction, it does occur around every 12 years, but our older Magi, they would have seen this before and not really got too excited about it because they would have known that this happened before. But as this first conjunction was happening, the constellation Virgo, the Virgin, happened to be rising with the sun. And not only did she rise bathed in the sun's light, but at one point during it all, she actually had a new moon at her feet, signifying a new birth. See where I'm going with this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in the month of September, the Jewish New Year, Jupiter, the king of the planets, had a very close conjunction with the star of kings, whilst the virgin Virgo rose in the sun with a new moon at her feet. A fantastic combination of ancient symbolism. Surely that would be enough to excite the Magi to jump on their camels and ride off. Not yet. As we know, planets also rise in the east and move eastwards through the, the stars, but at a certain point, they appear to reverse westward briefly and then return heading eastward again. And this is because we're seeing them from a moving platform, which is Earth. And it just so happens that Jupiter did this around that time. They're saying that around 3 BC, it passed Regulus, that star, in the first conjunction. It then returned to it and then passed it again, creating not one, but three close conjunctions, which is a much rarer event than the 12 yearly one. If you also had the means to have recorded it, it would have seemed to have made a halo above the star of kings, creating yet another symbolic gesture. A halo, obviously to do with religious, and a coronation of the star. If this didn't force the old magi to actually get excited, I don't know what would. So when Jupiter appeared to stop in the sky, just before reversing briefly, perhaps completing its halo and giving the Magi time to research it, perhaps discuss its meaning with others. We reckon it was around the 25th of December, funnily enough, 3 BC, 
that they finally decided they were going to jump on their camels and ride in its direction, believing it signified where the king had been born. Jupiter was now ahead of them, to the south-ish, depending, but it was still a known object and not a great star of Bethlehem. Now we know on their journey they got waylaid and grilled by King Herod, so let's say perhaps it took them a few months to journey there, as we don't know how far they travelled really, or that they knew you know, where the child was actually going to be born. They arrived in Jerusalem around June 2 BC, let's say, and funnily enough, just as Jupiter had another spectacular conjunction, but this time it was with Venus. The two were said around this time to be so close that you couldn't tell them apart with the naked eye. So you've got the two brightest things in the sky coming as one. Now no one of the era would have seen this before as it's a very rare event and it would appear to be a great bright star in the sky to the south over Bethlehem. So perhaps the star of Bethlehem didn't actually stop over Bethlehem but became amazingly bright at this conjunction and Bethlehem was only five miles south while the Magi were in Jerusalem they might have been there, seen it happen, and then gone there. They probably followed Jupiter when it crowned Regulus, ending up in Jerusalem because King of Herod. They then saw the conjunction and headed to Bethlehem in search of the baby Jesus. Because the conjunction only really kind of lasts a few nights, they move apart again. So it couldn't have been a long-winded stroll. So, on hearing all of that, let's build up a little conclusion. As the first conjunction happened, it signified birth with Virgo and a new moon, the coronation of Regulus, meant king, the triple conjunction started in the Jewish New Year, giving it a Jewish religious significance, Jupiter rose in the east, conjunctions appeared at precise times, Herod was not aware of these subtle movements in the sky, because there was a few of them and they were subtle, the events endured over time, which they did, quite a few months, Jupiter stopped in the sky, just like the Star of Bethlehem was said to. Jupiter appeared ahead of the Magi as they rode south-ish. And then last but not least, a close conjunction of two of the brightest objects in the sky over Bethlehem. If this was a real event astronomically, which it could have been, then it had all the significant characteristics of the account at the time, astrologically speaking. But I'll let you make up your own minds about what happened next, because I wasn't actually there. (laughs) (laughs) But on reading all of that, I found that very interesting nonetheless. What do you think, Mark? Well, that is a good possibility. So the three wise men were actually coming to Bethlehem, nothing to do with the baby Jesus. They wanted to see this phenomenon for themselves. Also, I've read somewhere that Jesus wouldn't have been born in December because of the story that said that the shepherds were in the mountains looking after their flock of sheep they wouldn't have been up in the mountains in December. No, someone said it was more summertime, didn't they? Or spring, was it? Springtime, yeah. That makes the June sort of, uh, that they arrived there around springtime, Mm -hmm. a bit more realistic. So that slots in, in a way. (laughs) The reason for the December, everything in December, is that the pagan festival of the, the winter solstice happens in December the Romans didn't like the fact that the the heathens the the pagans were celebrating this thing in December and decided to put all of their festivals at the same time and then the Christians (laughs) did the same thing so everybody and so did the Jewish people and so did the Muslims they've all got festivals that happen around that time of year when you look into the history of it all it's actually almost like an amalgamation of everything all different cults and history and religion all kind of people all put together Turkey for example was something that was 
brought in from the Americas. That's not uh, a, a bird that we had on this little island, and it was brought over originally. What you would have had at Christmas is goose. Ah, I've never had goose. I'm going to have to try it. Maybe I'll do it this year. I need to get an oven first. Though. I haven't got an oven at the moment. <laughs> do you that might it in help. A microwave. <laughs> yeah, microwave a goose. Yeah, do that going well. That will make a star over my house. <laughs> Well, the decorated Christmas tree is a German um, thing that we actually took on board because of Queen Victoria, because her husband Albert was German, and we took that into our homes for that reason. As you say, it is a mixture of culture and geography and history, and you can learn a lot about a religion through learning about the people. You need to go and look up stuff, don't you? Mm. I always go, question everything. Yeah. Never, never take it as gospel, as they say. I always say that reading is fundamental and never take your information from one source. Always check out two or three different sources. And if they, if they work together, then you know that it's pretty gospel. Yeah, it's like what I wrote there. There's different bits and bobs from different places and different pieces. But then you sit there and go, they couldn't have got there by that time and that had already happened by then. So you kind of then try and build up your own sort of story getting all the facts in where they make sense and they fit. But I do love the story of it. I don't know why. I do like the story of wise men on camels riding through the desert with all the stars above them following this really bright star. It just brings out a really cool picture. Yeah. There was a documentary. I think it was Heston Blumenthal or one of those went in search of frankincense and and it was just a tree, just this one tree that was in the middle of a desert which you can get this. So you reckon they didn't have any gifts then? And as they rode through, they saw this tree and thought, ah, (laughs) (laughs) I'll grab that and call it frankincense. (laughs) So guys, what do you reckon to that? uh, It's pretty blew my mind, to be fair. Um, I know that the the Christmas story has got the star in the sky, but I've never actually thought that something was actually happening and amazed that there's computer programs now that they can go back and go well this happened at that time Uh, absolutely amazing the the story itself is a metaphor as ross was saying you know you've got the the regular the star king uh you had virgo the virgin there's a metaphor for mary with a new moon a birth of a new moon all different things that come together and that's what it represents totally and either as, as an atheist myself i've always enjoyed the Christmas story. I just think it's a nice thing. But to actually get some scientific evidence or proof or something that was there that was at that time, amazing. Absolutely stunning. And something I will have to uh, have to have a nose about. I've read up that it was some kind of actual astronomical phenomenon for a long time. Now that leads us nicely, a nice little segue. Once again, Vanderville's have let us use a piece of music and and this piece of music fits in just wonderful this track is called stars Yeah, what you want 
reckon to that guys no good song i liked it sorry i'm not a music critic i <laughs> not a music critic or just been doing a, a eurovision podcast for the last three well, years well that's different <laughs> that's not music <laughs> moving on oh <laughs> no no i do enjoy eurovision i do i and that was just me sarcasm <laughs> Uh, that song was that was beautiful. It, it was one of those songs where it's it's non-offensive, and I don't mean that as mm-hmm. rude words. I mean it's something you could put on at any time of the day and just sit there and just fall into yourself and just go, yeah, nice song, nice mm-hmm. voice, love it. Yep. We're going to take uh, another little break so that you can listen to some of the more of the messages that people have been sending in for Christmas, and then we'll be right back. science lovers it's steph Evs of the stimulus i hope you and your loved ones have a wonderful holiday and a happy new year hello this is author richard j bartlett wishing everyone a very merry christmas well maybe not too merry the only stars you should be seeing should be up in the sky whatever you do though have fun be safe and may 2020 bring clear skies to you this is Arnold J. Rimmer from Red Dwarf. You're listening to TGP Nominal. Listen to it. 
So guys, I thought maybe we could have a quiz. Now, you can either have a science quiz or a popular culture quiz. What do you fancy? I'm happy to go with the popular culture because I have no idea of science. <laughs> I'd go for either one. Shall we do the, the popular culture one first? Well, I was going to say get the science one out of the way. <laughs> All right, okay. We'll do that. We'll do that. Whatever way seems better for everybody. Can I just write Red Dwarf for every answer and then <laughs> hope that there is a Red Dwarf question in there somewhere? The quiz itself is, as I say, it's a science quiz, but it's based around the song The Twelve Days of Christmas. Have you got something there to write on so that you can put your answers down for... I've got the, it. I just don't question. think I'll be using it. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously there's going to be 12 questions. <laughs> and the first one is based around... A partridge in a bird tree. Loosely. <laughs> oh, here we go. David Cassidy. <laughs> Alan Partridge. Aha! <laughs> the question is, what is used to give... Pear drops, their distinctive pear flavour. Do you have pear drops in America, John? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I mean, they're they're kind of like a, a hard sweet uh, that's pear flavoured. I figured as much. I'm probably going to have to skip on this one. Okay. You're being very unfair to those outside the UK. I didn't write the question. <laughs> <laughs> do you want us to answer straight away or do you want us to keep No, 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 just write them down. Okay. The dove heart smaller or larger in proportion to the to its body size than the human heart is. Can you hear my keyboard going? Can you hear it tapping <laughs> away? <laughs> yep, same here. What, yeah, what's this pencil and paper thing you were suggesting earlier? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> name is given to an adolescent female chicken you've got four options here you've got wattle pullet spur or cap on What type of bird is a collie bird? Well, that's clever. 
done. Yep. What is the atomic number for gold? You've got four options. You've got 72, 77, 79... Or 80. I, I feel like I've taken this really serious. I feel like I'm, <laughs> exam, I'm yeah. taking an exam here. the main protein content of the white of an egg what do you mean by that i'm glad you asked the um <laughs> the main protein constituent of the white of an egg what is it made from Athena Swan Charter to support women in science was established in which year? Please make this multiple choice. Unfortunately not. the name of the family of proteins that make up 80% of all the protein in cow's milk? Can you say that one again? That's uh, baffled me. What is the name of the family of proteins that make up 80% of all the protein that is in cow's milk? You're just stalling for time. many bones are there in the human foot and ankle this is in revenge for me beating you with eurovision isn't it <laughs> that's what this is and what have i done to you recently that's what i want to know
actually you're going to find the next one quite random. Oh, because um, the rest have been great. <laughs> You've heard of a leap year. There are also leap minutes, hours and seconds. The leap second is a little bit pointless and the International Telecommunications Union have announced the decision to ditch it. But the decision has been delayed. But what year have they decided to delay it till? <laughs> so they've decided to Pluto the leap second, huh? Don't start. <laughs> that was the reaction I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you've got four pipes, just bits of metal piping. Okay, you've got one at 12 inches, one at 10 inch, one at 8 inch, and one at 6 inch. Which of those four would create the highest note if you were to hit it? I've got a musician sat behind me. Can I ask them? <laughs> and, and you've got a musician sitting on this side of the pond, so... <laughs> oh, um... Just think of a xylophone and how the notes work on a xylophone. You'll have your answer. Thank you. <laughs> Why didn't I just think of that straight away? think so the last one 12 drumming a decibel is one tenth of a bell who is this unit named in honor of Do you want the answers now? Yeah, put me at my misery. Yeah, I was going to say, get the embarrassment over with. <laughs> okay, so the first question was about what gives pear drops its flavour. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's a chemical compound, and uh, it's called ethyl acetate ethanate, mm-hmm. which gives it a pear flavour. But if it was isomel acetate ethanate, it would be banana flavoured. So it's just one tiny compound that makes a difference between pear and banana. No. <laughs> I'd put acid, some type of acid. To it it basically flavor. is a form of acid. It is a form of acid. But it's just weird that just one slight change and it goes from pear to banana. 
So wow. that's what gives you that really, you know, that really fake banana taste that you get in. Yes. In like those milkshakes and and those sweets that look like a banana mm. but don't really taste anything like a banana. Actually, that is not true. They are accurate to banana, but not the bananas that we have now. All bananas have the same. Well, all bananas of a particular variety have the exact same genetic code. Mm-hmm. And what happened was the banana. Damn, I can't remember the name of it. Is it Cavendish? Cavendish. Cavendish, yes, the Cavendish, that got almost wiped out until we got what we have now, which I believe is called the Gros Michel. So that actually is supposedly banana flavor, but Cavendish, which is not what we have nowadays. I think I saw a documentary about that. Weird, watching a documentary about bananas. Good old BBC4. <laughs> I got mine from a YouTube channel called SciShow. I've heard of that. Oh, it's a great series. You really should watch those. This podcast is not sponsored by SciShow. Or the BBC. Yeah, like we could get sponsored by the BBC. Could get some money from the BBC would be lovely. <laughs> It'd be great, but... Mm. <laughs> so, question two. A dove's heart is actually larger in comparison with a human heart because the bird's cardiovascular system needs to be bigger to support the high metabolic needs for required for flying. Yeah, I got one right. Join the club. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> you can finish now. Done. Yes. See, my question to that one would have been, yeah, which human are you talking about? Then we'll know what kind of what kind of heart size. Yeah. It's like asking the question, um, uh, my dad always used to say when we were going out somewhere, we, he used to say, are you fit? And I go, you're fit for what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So with that, with that, is it because that the bird's heart is beating faster, or has that got nothing to do with it? It's to do with the uh, the amount of activity it actually takes to fly. So do, oh, if you imagine okay. you'd be if you were flapping your arms for that amount of time, yeah, your your uh, metabolic rate would change. Mm, yeah, if I was doing that, I'd be thinner. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't explain pigeons. Because you look at the side of a pigeon, and you think that thing will never take off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> Right, so the third question uh, about the adolescent chicken, uh, it was pullets. Oh, yes. Ah. Missed. A capon is a castrated male chicken. Oh. The wattle is the flaps of skin underneath yes. the beak. And the spur is the little bit that sticks out the back of the foot. Yeah. Which makes sense because it's like a spur that you'd r- use for riding a horse. Mm. Although we don't do a lot of that with spurs in this country. <laughs> Okay, number four. What is a collie bird? It's a blackbird. Uh, it's called a collie bird because it's a term for black from the word colliery, from coal. Uh, okay. <coughs> Question five. What is the uh, atomic number for gold? And that would be 79. Yay, another one for me. I thought it was a trick question. <laughs> I fell for it. <laughs> of course, just between us three, it was a complete guess on my part. But, <laughs> okay, you know, I hate that. Keep it. Keep the secret quiet. Yeah. People who play Trivial Pursuit and do things by completely guesswork, it annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, about the protein in an egg. It's called albumin. Oh, yes, I got that one. Oh, well <laughs> done. Well done. An egg white is 90% water, but the remainder of it is albumin. See, I thought that was simply what the material was called. I didn't realize that was the protein. Sweet. Better to be lucky than good. So the seventh question was about the Athena Swan Charter. Now, that was established in 2005, and it's uh, an organization set up to encourage women 
and recognise the commitment of advancing the careers of women in science, technology, engineering, maths and medicine. So it's STEM with two M's. Before I give my answer, can I ask John to give his? Oh, I, I chose 1999. Okay. I, I had no I, idea. I won't uh, give you my answer. That's fine. So question eight was the cow's milk, wasn't it? The name of the family of proteins that make up 80% of, of that. And the answer is caseins. Okay. Number nine was how many bones are in the foot and ankle. It's technically 26, but it could be 28 if you include the sesamoid bones at the base of the big toe. Yeah. I, if, if I double my answer, can I get half a point? <laughs> I said 29, so I was close. Yeah. Wow. We'll take that. I, I knew it was in the upper 20s, but it's like, okay, I've got a one in five chance. Pick one. <laughs> <laughs> so the question about the leap seconds, about the International Telecommunications Union announcing to, to ditch the leap seconds, will be delayed until the year 2023. Oh. Ah, I said 2024. <laughs> I hate you, rabbit. So the answer for the pipes, the answer is the shorter the tube, the higher the note. Yay. Yep. And the last one, number 12, the bell is named after Alexander Graham Bell. Awesome. That was a total guess. Yeah. Got it. The only person that I knew who was famous... Exactly. Same. <laughs> Who else is yeah. named Bell? I love that. <laughs> Although spelt differently, because Bell in Decibel only has one L. And well, you know, but yeah, efficiency. <laughs> so there you go. I think the teacher needs to see me after that test. <laughs> yeah, coming out of the pop culture, I think we'll do a lot better. <laughs> so what, okay. what I think we'll do, um, I've got a couple of interviews that I did at Field of Force Day this year. Uh, and they're Star Wars-related ones. So I'm going to play those in, and we can have a little chat about them. And then we'll do the popular culture one. I'm talking with Russ Sandbridge. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Excellent. Now, this is your first Field of Force Day? It is indeed, yes, and it's a fantastic event. There's a lot going on, isn't there? There certainly is. It's, uh, it's brilliant to uh, meet the fans, young and old, um, and to, put this, to have them to have more experience of watching the films. They've seen their character or characters on screen, and they go and meet the people behind the mask or um, on, on the screen. They go, it makes their experiences far, so much far better. Now, talking of being behind the mask, now you're probably most famous for being the Supreme Leader Snoke. In, uh, in the Star Wars movies? Uh, well, I have to say, it's obviously I share the role with uh, Andy Serkis, who did the voice and motion capture, but I'm the physical body that you see on screen um, of Supreme Leader Snoke. Um, they wanted someone tall and thin and maybe even slightly creepy looking, who knows? Um, <laughs> and I thought, well, that's, uh, I think that's a compliment. Um, so uh, I went down to the... Uh, down to the studios uh, to be measured, to be measured up, and and then put the put a prototype costume on, and um, and then Ryan Johnson walks through the door and says, "You must be our Snoke." So that's kind of how I got the role of uh, Snoke, and then it all combined from there. So it was basically you just went in for a measure up, and and they basically well, said, they, right. they knew of me um, uh, from other things I've done, 
Uh, so they had my name on file, but they kind of, I mean, oh, well, Ross's, um, Ross's body shape might be just right. So the edition was a fitting, and it just happened to be that my, my costume, so the, the, the costume fit me on my body right, and just perfect for the, um, the role. So but the subtext is you have a perfect body, apparently, then, out of this, or at least for a very niche market. Well, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> <laughs> No, often I get told that. That's very nice. Thank you. Um, because it's funny, actually, you mentioned that. Um, because I've got a slight curvature of the spine. Uh, and on the set, um, Brian Johnson saw my back and thought, well, uh, we'll give uh, Snoke uh, a slight bit of a curvature would make him a bit more, even more creepier and aloof over um, the Kylo Ren. Um, so... All, I understand that all the uh, Black Series figures and the pop figures and all the illustration that I was scanned for have all got a slight curvature, curvature on there. Um, which I, which I, I met a couple of people today who has a similar um, ailment but it's like with, with, a, with a back uh, problem and they said, well, I always thought that uh, it might stop my career or stop my getting jobs that I want to do because of my curvature. And I said, well, the thing is, this is a, you know, this is the point because it doesn't matter um, what you have, it's who you are. And it just happens to be that you've got a curvature. For me, my curvature helped me get the role of Supreme Leader Snow. Um, it's just, just, it is what it is. And then it just all, all the other stuff, like the, um, the side things, or the, the, the merchandise, just happens to have a curvature on them. So it's just, it's nice. And, um, so I've had I've had kids and adults like uh, touch my curvature and it's like it's it's really feeling. Also, I, I quite like the fact is that uh, that uh, Snoke's got a pair of slippers and uh, you know it was it was nice the fact they could actually get slippers to fit me because I've got very big feet you see. Um, so to uh, have uh, size 19 slippers. Was wow. Goodness. Not saying, not to say the record. I don't, I don't know whether Snoke's got size 19. He's just about the I'm size 19, so therefore that could be. I know. So it's, it's, obviously led really, really nicely into. By the way, can we stick you in a hairy suit as well, then? Um. Yeah. Well. Uh, <laughs> whilst I was still. I, I, I've but, seen a few pictures of. Even fuzzball. Oh, okay. Or <laughs> well, hairy feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well. During, during the filming of uh, Jedi, uh, I was um, given the opportunity to have a, a um, audition for a uh, hairy alien. Walking uh, carpet. Walking carpet, yeah. Uh, uh, so um, I had the audition, and let's go through what the audition entailed. And, um, I really want to know what an audition for a Wookiee entails. I really, I really want to know that, but I know you can't talk about that. Uh, all I can say <laughs> is that I had to... If you could like maybe nod or shake your head on whether you had to rip anybody's arms off to get the part, that would be... <laughs> <laughs> only, only for the use of Lego, I assure you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you were obviously successful in um, your yeah, working no, audition. Yeah, I was very, extremely lucky because before, when I was younger and I wanted to get in the acting game, uh, I uh, I said that I wanted to try and get in either James Bond or Star Wars. That was my dream, and. Um, I, I got close to being a rookie before 
uh, on the, the 30th anniversary of Star Wars, when I was living down in Bristol, there was a memorabilia shop and they uh, wanted someone, that, I literally walked in and they said, are you free on Saturday weekend? I went, yeah. So what it is, we're doing a, uh, a Heroes and Villains uh, day yeah. and we've got uh, Peter Mayhew coming down with his wife, uh, Kenny Baker and Jeremy Bullock uh, and we'd like someone to dress up as Chewbacca and uh, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, of course I would be. It's That's a radio edited version of what you said, isn't it? it, it, it yes, no. Uh, <laughs> let's just say it only took about one or two, well, in fact, it took less than two seconds to go, yes, I'd love to do it. Uh, so I was uh, dressing, dressed up as a, uh, as, as a uh, cosplaying um, Wookiee uh, with a bowcaster and walking around and doing my, doing my roars and things. And Peter Mayhew. Uh, said to me that uh, I was doing the roars wrongly and it was actually um, how he was shown he was like you do it through your nose not through your mouth um, so I had Peter Mayhew teach me how to be an actual walking oh which was my God. You know, so I thought if, if this is my only anything with Star Wars die happy now. So absolutely oh my yeah. goodness and then uh, well 12 years later I was doing it for real running around the Spice Mines of Kessel uh, and uh, it was fantastic. I, I had a good few months working on that, and um, just to sort of like have the, the Falcon uh, next to me. And uh, well, uh, could he also, I, I also gained four, bro- four brothers working on that film. Uh, we've Ari, well, it's more like five, because we've with Jonas and Ari and uh, the other. Uh, three Wookiee slaves, uh, Attila, uh, Matt, and Paul. Um, we all we all became very, very close. You know, you're in that close proximity with people, with the other actors, but we just had that bond. And uh, we still talk on Facebook and um, and on the phone as much as, much as we can. And it's just nice the fact we still got that, and it'll always be with us. You know. So, my more limited costuming experience. Um, there's something very, very different about a Wookiee versus anything else for what you'd wear because it's not the prosthetics, it's like the full face helmet, yeah. hat, whatever, and fur. And people assume it's fur and it's not his hair, you're basically yeah. a gigantic walking wig. Yes. My costume was generally made out of uh, yak hair. Uh, so real, real fur, <laughs> and uh, so running around that in the heat. Uh, it wasn't so easy. It was very, very hot. We had we had the uh, under blacks on, and uh, then you put the hair on because all our all our Wookiee suits were made made to measure. Yep. So we all we all got like scanned and and plaster casted, even the heads as well. So the uh, so when we draw, when we open our mouth. It would open up the jaw of the Wookiee's yeah. uh, face and it make it more believable. You know, um, we go through uh, stunt training and uh, Wookiee, 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 Wookiee school. Wookie, Wookie Wookie school. school. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you want to make sure you can walk, walk the right way. Oh, absolutely. You, know? you wouldn't want yeah. to walk the wrong way. No, exactly. We had so many Wookiee puns going on. It was like literally walking on sunshine and, uh, you know, we go walking around and it's just, you know, we were literally, it was, 
Can it was fantastic. The barbecue one? <laughs> no, but Wookie, I might be quite hairy though. No, it's Wookiee steaks, they're a bit chewy. Oh, yes, that's, see. that's an old classic. Yes. Well, that, oh, that one I can leave for you. Um, <laughs> no, it was just it was just fantastic. And working and being directed by not just Ryan Johnson on The Last Jedi, but also Ron Howard on Solo was just it was fantastic. He's it, a was, it is, he is. And uh, it was very hands on. It was asking us, like, you know, what, what, what do you do in this role? We want you to, you know, fight more people or uh, just, just literally just be, be Wookiee. And we're like, because the, 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 the minute you take the head on and you've got everything else on, you are not, you're not assuming well, you're a Wookiee. And that's what you do. Then you, you are literally, even though you're being filmed, what you're being filmed is real. And that's how you're supposed to sort of imagine it. Uh, and depending on what what version of the film you've seen, whether a DVD version or a Blu-ray version, uh, you get to see a bit more Wookiee action. Which always sounds wrong when I say that. <laughs> Sorry. <are> you... <laughs> that's not gonna imagine. Yeah, yeah, we get more Wookieeness in the in the blue. I think in the Blu-ray version than in the DVD version. But it's, it's just it was just fantastic. And so it was it was pure 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 dream and. Um, who knows what might happen in the future. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ross, it's been fantastic talking with you. I have to say, it's been, one of the, it's been one of the best interviews I've had. It <laughs> 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 really is. It's partly down to this lady here, you know. So, uh, <laughs> thank it's, you. So, uh, no, thank you for taking the time to talk hey, to that, That's all right. That's okay. But, uh, yeah, I'd say it's... Um, Star Wars is for everybody. And uh, Star Wars is for life, not yeah. just for Christmas. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right, okay, uh, thank you. Thank you much. Liz was definitely in her element, wasn't she? Liz was very much in her element. <laughs> in fact, in fact, the, the guy we were talking to, Ross, actually took a bit of a shine to our Liz. No. Oh. <laughs> She's a sweetheart. Yeah, she is. She helped out so much that day. I can only imagine how hot those outfits must be. My first experience of a Wookiee was when I went to a space festival in France. And uh, it was really weird, obviously. Actually, talking to a Wookiee in French was bizarre. <laughs> Le photo, s'il vous plaît. <laughs> and big walking carpet comes over, puts his arm around you. And it was the middle of summer, and it was really hot. And, <laughs> ooh, that wasn't nice. <laughs> I, I get it. It's um, when I worked on the Holy Parks in the UK. It's like they they say that you're only supposed to be in because they've all got their own costume characters. That you're only supposed to do it for like fifteen twenty minutes a stint. But when you're at um, a convention, they do a hell of a lot more than fifteen twenty minutes. So uh, yeah, I take my hat off to those guys, especially in the films as well. That all day in a costume. I've seen some of the guys, you know, having their breaks and. Uh, obviously, you've got that um, that, that black-up paint that you put around your eyes yeah. so that you can't see the skin under the head and everything. And they come out, take the helmet or the hood off or whatever, looking like Alice Cooper, because <laughs> yeah. this stuff is just coming down <laughs> their cheeks. And it's amazing. It's like, as my dad used to say, in the day, during the war, on the Holy Parks in the skin costumes, it, you, you'd see people just take the, the costume head off and light up a cigarette 
and then straight back into the costume and go out again. And you're like, how would you do that? It's, it's, it's insane. Absolutely insane. Friend of mine, Gary Wig, he's a, a Wookiee, he's a predator, he's lots of different characters. Tends Field of Force Day last two years. He was at one of the conventions and there's a photograph of him out the back um, having a cigarette in the Predator outfit with the guy who played Bishop from Aliens. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it's bizarre stuff. But conventions are just fantastic. Field of Force Day it, more than others. Right, so I'll play the next one. I'm talking with... John Coppinger, who is a special effects guru, aren't you? Well, that's very kind of you. Um, I describe myself as a clay mechanic. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, basic, I'm basically a sculptor. And then when we work in animatronics, um, we basically get involved in the whole thing. I do the clay, it's moulded and cast by the plasterers, the moulding department, um, and then we build it. So I get involved in the mechanics as well. But my, my core trade is being a sculptor. Wow. So, so what kind of projects have you worked on? Well, a lot of people, uh, you know, there's a new series of The Dark Crystal out on Netflix. Um, that film in the UK started an awful lot of people in the film industry. Um, so that was my first film. Pure nepotism, because I went to um, art college with Brian Froud, who was the designer on The Dark Crystal. Um, and as I say, a lot of people came in from that. And uh, my first real job was on Jedi. Um, working for Stuart Freeborn, who was a genius makeup artist, and I knew I had to try and get his attention. So I kind of think that was my first job on merit, if you, if you like. Because there's so many iconic characters in that movie. In, in Jedi? Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, that was the beauty of it, because Jabba the Hutt. Um, I know special effects didn't like us much, because we were talking to the director. But Jabba the Hutt's a major character. He's got, he's got dialogue. And he interacts um, with other people. Then you've got all the other creatures, the Twi'leks, the, you know, you name it, as you say. You know, it was just Not enough in... love for the Twi'leks out there. Not no, no, love. you were saying earlier. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. But um, there was one scene where Jabba had his eyes tight shut, and it's because I was looking at the dancing girl. <laughs> but I, cl- I, I claimed he was... I can't do it on audio, but I claimed he was just getting in the mood, you know. The, the, the party. Well, Femi is gorgeous, so... Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, she's got to deal with the devil, because she doesn't look any different. No, you know, we yeah. see her at shows, and... Yeah. I saw. I met her last year. She's uh, Emmy Taylor played Ula yeah. in Jabba's Palace, the green toilet to those not quite that toilet obsessed like me. Yeah. Um, and she's got an amazing life story. She is. Yeah, she yeah. is wonderful. She's a but lady, yeah. I confess, I am such such a fan girl with you yeah. because oh, the, right. <laughs> I chew your ear off every time I see you. I know I do. Well, that's what I'm here for. Because talk the, nonsense and tell lies. The stuff that no, you no. work on is just. A amazing. I am in awe of your talent. Well, I always say, because the technical term was frothers, which means film geeks in the 80s. And we were the lucky frothers and actually got a, got a job on the film. Yeah. You know, if the director showed his cut, the whole of the animal drawings department was in there. Um, so we were the lucky ones that got to work on the film. So, which... Okay, here we go. What would you say is your favourite creation? Well, it's it sounds a bit cheesy, but it's classic. It's Jabba the Hutt and the Diva, Beauty and the Beast. So those two, 
partly because they were the most technical, most yeah. technically challenging. That was the beauty of that little that little window before the computers took over, which they haven't, by the way. But you know, that was an, an ongoing fear for about ten years that we were going to get sidelined by the CGI department. And it's never really happened. I think, if anything, you had that sort of rush of, oh, look what we can do on a computer and digital art and so on, and mm. then. I think people realized it started to lack some of the realism. Yeah. I mean, for me, my classic example that I have, and I have this conversation a lot, I confess, raging nerd, um, Jurassic Park, hmm. 19, was it 1993, June 1993, right, right. Jurassic Park came out, and there is a grand total of about 16 minutes of actual dinosaurs yes, that's right. in that film. Yes, yeah. And you watch that now, mm. and it, there are some films that don't stand up to that test of time because they were advanced at the time. Yes, they were. But things have passed on. But for me, I can watch Jurassic Park mm. tonight, and it will still look to yeah. me like you know, the T-Rex is attacking or whatever. And for me, it's got more realism to it than the Jurassic World films it that was, they made yeah, last yeah. year. It was extraordinary. We actually thought they were like, you know, we, we ran that joke that the people who did the CGI for Jurassic Park were like the architects of the pyramids. They did the job to take it away and kill. Because, no, because nothing quite as good turned up for quite a long time after that. Well, I remember them saying a bit about the T-Rex malfunctioning because it was actually raining was, when they yeah, did that right. scene and, and every now and again it would stop working and somebody would have to climb up in it yes. underneath the oh, suit God, yes, and mess story. with the animatronics. Yes, yeah, yeah. And hope it didn't start up. Yeah. Exactly, because yeah, you yeah. get killed. Yeah. But also, because it got a bit damp and a bit haywire, mm. um, the T-Rex would occasionally move when nobody was controlling it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> that's that still tickles me here. Yeah, yeah. But so, okay. Other question then. What would what would you say your favourite example of somebody else's? Oh yes, that's great. creature feature. Uh, well, maybe the um, the alien creature that comes to mind. But that, again, that was part of the way it was directed because we were working on Santa Claus and the workshop for the second Alien film took over. Well, the, the stunt suits on the second film were better than the primary suit on, on the first film. But it was filmed so well, it was lit so well, you know, smoke effects coming out of things sideways. But, so it's all about illusion. And that director, I've forgotten his book, it's Cameron, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, directed it so well. But, yeah. So... The difference between doing the effects back in the day till now, I mean, obviously, there's more health and safety these days. Yes. Uh, <laughs> does that restrict what you can do? Um, not really. I think it involves a bit of paperwork, but I, I, I've pretty much come out of the film industry by the time the really heavy health and safety stuff came up. On the Dark Crystal, on the, um, the helicopter plants, yeah. we were throwing out of the boats at sort of 30 feet up. Wow. And they wanted depth of field, so there was 11,000 kilowatts of lighting on that set. And the temperature was going to 140 in the grid. Wow. I asked the riggers to tie people on, because we were throwing these things down like darts. But I remember going up a sort of 30-foot ladder with, with a bucket in one hand and the other hand to me. And, yeah, so... Um, so I guess it does, but it's a good thing, because I, you know, I knew several people who were badly injured or even died in the first few years on film, so it wasn't funny, you know. The health and safety needed to be done. 
So going back to your class yourself as a, as a sculptor, mm. or have you done some work in the past that was just something that someone has commissioned you to do? Um, not really, no. Mostly I've, I started off at the Natural History Museum and in films, um, so no, I've never actually worked as a sculptor in my own right. I've done my own work in my own right, but... Yeah. But is that something you would like to do? I actually want to write, and that's luckily now um, I'm old enough that the government pays me to be alive. Um, <laughs> but I'm free, you know, and it's, it's very weird getting used to that, that you haven't got the hammer over your head, you know, you're not yeah. endlessly going to a cliff edge of monetary problem. So you might not be rich, but I've got time. And in fact, what I used to do with the film industry, you get paid reasonably silly money, and then you do extremely silly hours. So you, you make enough money to buy quite a lot of time back. And I used to not worry about getting off the bandwagon. I'd buy time back and do my writing. So I'm not sure if that's answering the question, but yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's saying that, you know, it's something that you wanted to do. I mean, um, can, uh, what, what, do you think that will happen, that you'll, you'll write something? Well, it's easy now, because I've got a book out there and you self-published. The Miracle of the Internet, you know, print on demand. Um, I've tried the writing off to um, writer's agents, so I'd, every now and again I try that, but I can, I can publish my own, so I do it. Um, you can sell online, you can sell at shows, so yeah, mainly I just like writing. Um, like a lot of artists, I'm rubbish at marketing. Um, you know, you just want to do the work, don't you? That's it. I think we're all... We're all uh, Habit to that, I think. I think you should do workshops. Oh, right. I think yeah. so. Well, I'd we're, sign up, I'll take it now. We're sculpting you, man. Yeah. I, I know, there's, there's a lot of folks younger than me doing that, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Because I, know I have kind of, of thought of it, yeah. A lot of the guys, um, like the costumers here, you know, a few mm. of the guys, they made their kits from scratch that mm. I know of. Right, yeah. And it's. It can be quite daunting looking at this finished thing in a film. Yeah. Thinking, how on earth do you make that? Well, and the breaking it down thing. I mean, as I said, I, I dabble. Yeah. I love it. I, I um, well, no, we before, make it up as like, yeah, yes, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, again, miracles of the internet, because it's incredibly impressive what people produce. You go to these shows and see cosplayers that produce things, you know, for effectively nine pence in their back room. <laughs> Um, yet they've researched on the internet and they come up with these extraordinary costumes. And then you feel almost guilty because we had maybe not time, but we certainly had money and resources. But equally, there's a lot of films of, you know, that sort of classic era that was pre internet. Mm, yeah. And people weren't thinking. Well, we should save this fabric swatch oh, and that yes. fabric swatch yeah, and take pictures of how we do this mm, because y'all yeah. were making it up as you went. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that knowledge that is only in your heads. Yes, it's not true. available to us mere peasants. There was also a kind of culture of secrecy because I was talking to a man earlier who it turned out made Jabba the Hutt's throne. Okay. And they had to, the part of the deal was they had to destroy the mould. Whereas now, that would instantly go into the equivalent of the Harry Potter experience. Yeah. And it would be an archive item, a museum item. Jabba couldn't be, because he was made out of foam, and it didn't last very long. Yeah. But Jabba died a death. Yeah, but somebody, 
Madame Tussauds made an extraordinary replica. They did, I've seen um, it. I didn't go and see it. I emailed them and didn't get any contact. But so anyway, <laughs> but do you know, was it made of silicon or was it? I don't, I didn't get close no, enough right, from that but, one. But, but it is extraordinary. I'd almost say that they found the moulds. It's so good. I would, let's not be an arrogant, but I mean, it really is good. I've not seen it in the flesh, as it were, but from pictures it looks amazing. Yeah. Well, John, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure talking with you. You're welcome. And I um, hope to speak to you again soon. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cheers. John was quite amazing to talk to and very humble. He couldn't understand why we wanted to talk with him. I mean, I understand that he did a lot of the work behind the scenes. He wasn't in front of the camera. It's the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that usually is what blows people's minds. You know, when I first found out that loaf of bread that formed in uh, The Force Awakens, that was a practical effect. That wasn't CGI. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I read that. I was like, What? That wasn't CGI, and then they explained how they did it. Uh, you know, and even stuff like Baby Yoda in The Mandalorian is a puppet. <laughs> and there's just something about that. Apparently, that, you know, they did do a CGI version of it, and they turned around and said, nah, this won't work. It needs to be physical. From what I understand, they, they did do both one with the puppet and one without. And it was Werner Herzog himself who said, if I remember correctly, you're cowards, leave it there. Have faith in this puppet because that's the way it was. Well, how many people criticized when they made Yoda CGI for the prequels? Is it the cost, do you think? It's just As a, a normal guy that watches films, it's like it looks better when it's a puppet. You know, it's a physical thing. It's To me, are they just trying to save money? It just annoys me. It really does. I don't honestly think it saves money, to be honest. Doing CGI work actually costs a lot of money to create. But it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't look as good, and it never will. And that's the thing. Well, it, no, it, I know it will. We're still, at this time, at the present. It doesn't feel real, it, and it won't. But it's like she was saying with Jurassic Park. That has stood the test of time. Mm. Whatever they did, the CGI for that blended into the movie beautifully. I was amazed when she said it was 93. I was like, oh, yeah. my God, that's yeah. amazing. You know, <laughs> you know? And, but even things like nowadays, they're good with stuff like de-aging for mm. actors. Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah. But I completely did not buy when they, uh, for, I guess it was Rogue One, when they try to bring back Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin, it's like, I'm sorry, there's these little nuances, it's not working for me. Yeah, yeah, you get that little tiny, like, flicker, and you go, yeah, done, that's you, it, you've you ruined it. You can't explain it. Yeah. There, there's something about it that says, that's CGI. Mm, and, and even if you can't really explain it. I, I get yeah. that they're trying to use new things, I understand that, but yeah. is there not somebody who sits there and goes... No, sorry, they're not going to buy that. I think that happened with Tron Legacy as well, when they tried to yeah. uh, make Flynn look younger again, and, and you could tell it wasn't quite right. The movements weren't quite right. I do a little bit of filming myself, and it's only little bits. I've done green screen work, but it's nice to have something there and physically film it. Yeah. That's the difference. I think part of it is that unless you have exact locations for things like where the lights are on the set and their color temperature and their brightness level mm. it's still going to be really difficult to put CGI in with any kind of real action scene with yeah, yeah, yeah. total 
total perfection. It's the reason that I still love watching films like Gremlins, because I know that they're there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it does work yeah. for me. For me, it's only a personal thing. But because I know that they're all animatronic puppets, whatever you want to call them, they're there. Yeah. And I know it works for me. Somebody put up something the other day about Gremlins that I didn't actually know. And it's, it's probably standard knowledge right across the board. But Kingston Falls in Gremlins, the actual town square, yeah. was... Uh, Hill Valley Town Square in Back to the Future. They just covered it, covered it in <laughs> yeah, snow. Yeah, it's, it's got the clock tower building and everything. Wow! <laughs> I just wanted to get a Christmas film in because nobody's mentioned a Christmas film yet. And I went, all right. Oh, don't start! <laughs> don't start because you know where this is going. And John, oh yeah, don't, John, John is not stop. a believer. It's, stop! It's a Christmas film. No, <laughs> no. By that same logic, Silent Night, Deadly Night is a Christmas film. No. It's a Christmas film. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, part of me is wanting to carry on, but no. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> I can feel it from over here. Uh, this, what was the name of that big tower in that film? And he fell from the tower. Uh, Nakatomi Tower. Nakatomi yeah. Plaza. Christmas film. <laughs> yeah, no. To the point that you can get die-hard Christmas ball balls for your tree. Okay, now the the one of the, of fake like him crawling through the air vent made out of like an aluminum oh, that, foil. Yeah, that that one was that's made clever. Up. Yes. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah, and somebody somebody built an advent calendar that for every day that you pull out the tab for advent, oh. Hans falls a little bit farther down to the base. <laughs> I would absolutely get that. Yeah, <laughs> but no, it's not. <laughs> but once again uh, on that clip you could tell that Liz was nerding out she, oh yeah totally she yes. was really nerding out very happy very happy girl <laughs> and why not why not we all do it we all do it yeah so we have uh, in the future we have some more clips from Field of Force Day 2019 or Field of Force Day XL as it was called that was a bit of a logistical nightmare for you, wasn't it, Eddie? I was getting told off left, right and centre. <laughs> and I apologise. I just The people that are interested in the stage, I just try and keep them happy, but I'm getting told off by the celebrities who are trying to talk to the people. I'm getting told off by people that are trying to interview people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I, I didn't actually put it that way, but you could actually <laughs> tell in the recordings how loud that was on the stage. Yes. Yeah. It's it's difficult. When it's a stage, it's like, what sound level do you use? Because you've got... If, it was, if it's too quiet, you're not going to attract anybody and nobody's interested. And it's like, yeah. oh, something's happening. Or it's too loud and nobody else can do anything. So it's... And when and the problem else you've got there is that it's almost like an aircraft hangar. Yeah. And, and the sound just bounces around everywhere. Yeah. Whatever you say, if you're at the back of the room, you'll hear it three seconds later and probably 40 times louder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One day we'll have a venue that's got a venue for the celebrities, a venue for interviews, a venue for the stage, and we'll all be happy. Yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some more interviews coming up in the future. We've got, I've got a, quite a bit of editing to do on some of them. And, uh, yeah, there should be some quite interesting stuff coming out on, on that. 
happy holidays to all the listeners of TGP Nominal. This is Richard Garriott, uh, my honorary crew member. I'm uh, an astronaut. I flew on uh, Soyuz TMA-13 to the ISS in 2008. Some of you video game players may know me also as Lord British, uh, working on my newest game, Shroud of the Avatar. You know, as we are wrapping up one more trip around the sun, I know that many may lament getting one year older, but I must say that I am particularly excited about the current state of space science and technology uh, while we are uh, in a new golden era of space exploration, of human space exploration, where costs are coming down, access frequency is increasing, which means safety will also be increasing. And I, for one, I'm very bullish on my own ability to get back into space, which also comes along with the fact that I believe all of us will have an easier time uh, fulfilling our own dreams in uh, space beyond the Earth and maybe even on another planet. So here's to seeing you in the near future in space. Happy holidays. Hi everyone, this is Ross Hockram from uh, UK Astronomy. Just wanted to wish uh, all the TGP nominal listeners a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Ladies and gentlemen, you know it, you love it, you can't live without it. This is TGP Normal. Nominal, damn! How do you fancy another quick quiz before we start wrapping things up? Uh-oh. Yeah, let's do it. Why not? I'm going to say something, John, that it might not mean a lot to you, but it might mean something to Eddie. This is a popular culture quiz, which is very loosely based on a thing that used to be on the Radio 1 Roadshow called... Bits and Pieces! <laughs> oh, I'm so old. <laughs> Basically, the idea of Bits and Pieces is they used to play little bits of songs and then there used to be this funny sound effect which used to separate it from the next song and so on and so forth. But I thought I would change it up a bit. There are bits of songs and there are clips from movies as well. And basically what I'm going to ask you to do when when it's a piece of music that's playing, I want you to identify the band or the artist and the name of the song, and probably for a bonus point, the year the, the song came out. D- don't don't push your luck here, Taylor. <laughs> and when it comes from the clip of the movie, what movie it came from, and once again, if you can, what year it came out. Wow. Okay. So, are you ready? Go ahead. Yeah, as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> How many have we got? There are 10 with a possible 25 points in total. Right, let's see what happens. <laughs> okay, let's go. Yeah, well, history is going to change. <laughs> What would you little maniacs like to do first? Hey, laser lips! Your mama was a snowblower! You stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder! 
down and you see a tortoise, Leon. It's crawling towards tortoise? you. Tortoise? What's that? You know what a turtle is? Of course. Same thing. Right. Do you want me to go through those again? Yes. What, what, have you started the quiz yet? I just thought that was the intro. <laughs> So, what would you little maniacs like to do first? Hey, laser lips! Your mama was a snowblower! see a tortoise leon it's crawling towards tortoise you. what's that you know what a turtle is of course same thing you've got to be kidding me <laughs> did any of those songs that you played even hit airwaves in the u.s yeah but i've modified them well, slightly i was gonna say are you playing them backwards because there I think, is a bit of backward playing on I there there's got, a bit of some of them have been slowed down yeah i got two songs and i think i got three films one of the songs may be a disadvantage to john but i know for you the do songs, i'm just going to answer living in a cardboard box for all of them <laughs> <laughs> one, one of them one of them i would say that you may have heard on one of the english stations that you might have listened to well i've got two songs one by an english band and one by an american singer you've got something down though have you y yeah very little but i've got something that's what the wife how, said how about <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> I got all but the last movie. I have no flipping clue on the songs. Okay. Do you want me to go through them? Can I pretend that I'm clever and can I say one of the films that I think was played? Okay. There was Weird Science in there. Mm -hmm. Weird Science was yes. definitely in there. So, what would you little maniacs like to do first? Any idea on the year? Oh, <laughs> very early 80s. Actually, I think that was 85, I believe. Spot on. Spot oh, on, Joe. Yeah. Well done. It was, it was right in the middle of when MTV was actually good. Oingo Boingo doing the, the, the uh, theme song. <laughs> right, so the first track. Any idea? No. Nope. <laughs> that was... Bruce Springsteen dancing in the dark. <gasps> no. What did you do to it? <laughs> <laughs> Slowed it right down, played parts of it backwards. Right. <laughs> yeah, never know. Any idea on the year for that one? Was that 83? Yeah, two years out on that one. So it was 85. It was 85, mm. yeah. I remember having the album. I was going to say like Popmaster, but John has got no idea what Popmaster is on Radio 2. Yeah, you need to listen to Popmaster. Mm. You, you can get hold of it on the internet. Everything stops in the UK for Popmaster on Radio 2. Yeah. <laughs> it's a quiz that happens every day. Uh, Half past ten yeah. every morning. And everything stops. All the factories stop because they all want to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, 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 it's not tea time. It's Popmaster time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Popmaster. <laughs> 
the first movie, which was after oh, Bruce Springsteen. Come on. Back to the Future, 1985. Yeah, well, history is going to change. Now, the second song. John, are you aware of a uh, British TV show called Spitting Image? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what song it's going to be then, Eddie? Well, they released two songs. Yeah, the, the one that they got to number one with. Right, I, I didn't want to mention the, the second one because it's uh, not appropriate anymore. Not anymore, no. Well, it wasn't appropriate then, but yeah. <laughs> so it's a song called The Chicken Song. What? <laughs> and it got to number one. A bit like Star Trekking. <laughs> we we had a thing in the eighties, very novelty records. You think? <laughs> <laughs> so after after Weird Science, the next track. So Queen Radio Gaga was in there? That, it was indeed, yeah. Mm. All we hear is radio Oh, see, I love that song. I'm surprised I didn't recognize it. Any idea on the year? 83. Ho, oh, ho, one year out. Oh, Ken Bruce. <laughs> one year out. Yeah, 84. 84. The next movie track. Short Circuit. Hey, laser lips. Your mama was a snowblower. 1987? Oh. 86. Oh, ah. one year out. <laughs> <laughs> so the next song track. Was that Stevie or have I missed one? No, that was it was Stevie Wonder. I just called to say I love you. Yeah. yeah. No new year's day. Couldn't guess at the year. John, any idea? Wow. Uh, uh, that one I'd say like 84. Yes, yeah, spot on. Well, well oh, done. wow. Cool. Well done. So the next movie clip, I think oh. you're both going to get this. Yeah, I'm not heard of it. Some, Empire I, Strikes Back, 1980. You stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. I don't know what a nerf herder is. Never heard of it. <laughs> on Orange, you'd have this answer phone thing where it used to say, Stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking Nerf herder isn't available at the moment. He left a message <laughs> to say, "Who's scruffy looking?" <laughs> nice. So the next audio track. Yeah, I, th that was it. I give up after that because it all just turned into a migraine. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any ideas, John? No, I, I didn't get any of the songs. <laughs> the next song was Tina Turner. We don't need another hero from Mad Max. Ooh, Thunderdome. Oh. Yeah. So, based on the fact that you knew it was Thunderdome, any idea on the year? Ooh, Thunderdome was later. Yeah, uh, later, yeah. 88? No, it was 85. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. Yeah. And the last film clip. No clue. No, no. Blade Runner. Oh, wow. <sighs> you look down and you see a tortoise, Leon. It's crawling towards tortoise? you. Tortoise? What's that? You know what a turtle is? Of course. Same thing. I will confess, I have not seen that. Oh, really? 
Yep. That surprises it's, me. Yeah, it's surprising, though. Yeah, lots of the remake. Basically, the bit when he's, uh, he's trying to work out whether he's, um, or what do you call it, uh, what do they call him, replicant uh, or not. Yeah, replicant. Um, and he's asking him weird questions in certain scenarios, and he's looking to see whether uh, his eye patterns match up with a human or whether you could tell whether it's computerized that he's trying to work out what's yeah. being processed. Mm. So, it's a Blade Runner 82, 1982. Mm. He didn't do too badly there, guys. As, as a collective, <laughs> John did a lot better than I did, so uh, thank you, John. Well, the movies were just like, oh, come on, except for that, the last one. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to make them too difficult, but then I thought I didn't want to make the music ones too easy, so I thought I'd mess about with them a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, no, well done. Hi, Mark. It's your super fan, Laura LaRue, calling from the USA to wish you, John, and Eddie a spectacular holiday and a very merry new year. And I'm sure I speak for all Garbage Pod and GGP nominal fans out there when I say I'm so looking forward to all the content you have to share in 2020. I just loved episode 58 where you shared with your listeners all about Field of Force Day. That was great! Well, here's to you, Mark, and to a glorious new year. Let's talk soon. Bye now. Spanhead Productions are a small, independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So that pretty much wraps it up. We've got hopefully a show coming out in January. I don't know what we're going to do with that one yet, but uh, I've got to speak to Ross Hockham and find out whether we've got something lined up for January Skies because obviously that's going to come out early January and it's whether he's in a fit state or not after New Year's. <laughs> so. You might be seeing stars, but not the kind you expect. <laughs> and do, we have been teasing our listeners on this. Do you have anything official to announce yet? All I can reveal is there <laughs> will be a Field of Force Day event in 2020, but it won't be in the normal area. We have got partial funding and we are working on getting some fundraising going on that nice. but uh, there is something coming so anybody out there that heard the news earlier in the year that field of force day peterborough is not going to be happening in 2020 mm. this is true but there is something coming elsewhere can you give us a clue off the top? I already know where it is. So yeah, I do I as well. But I just want to put him on the I want to put him on that. Pressure, pressure, pressure. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be different, as Simon has always said, that any of the regional Field of Force days need to have its own personality. And that is what is going to happen. It's, it's going to be different in its own right, but still have the spirit of field of force day and obviously with simon and jj's back in that will definitely be happening yeah 
You don't want not giving away giving away anything there. <laughs> Maybe uh, I should go into politics. Uh, no, no, you're too honest. Oh, yeah. You said, yeah. <laughs> you have integrity. It wouldn't work. <laughs> so, guys, it's been wonderful having you both on the show tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invite. It's um, I've learned a lot. I've got to go and do a lot of uh, googling now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I've given a little bit. I, I, yeah, it's always good to, well, when you're doing these kind of shows, you know, the more people the better, because when you, you can do quizzes and all that kind of stuff, and I think you get more of a, a, a party feel to yeah. it. And the next time you do a podcast about beer, please uh, invite me. Uh, yeah, I need to get that back off of the off of the back burner. The uh, the, the the TGP tap room needs to come back out again, and especially about American pale ales because I, recently I've got really into the uh, APAs. So uh, oh, you'd get on very well with a friend of the show <laughs> who's on the other side of the pond. Oh, good old Phil. Yeah, Doctor Phil. Yep. A doctor <laughs> of beer, lovely. He is doctor. a doctor of beer. Oh yeah. Did you hear that I finally had a chance to meet him? Yeah, you met him in Canada, didn't you, of all places? Yeah, in, in this little this little city in Canada. We both happened to be there the same weekend. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> He's an English guy who moved over to America probably about nearly 30 years ago, I'd say. Something like that. And uh, he does a podcast <laughs> called the Brit and Yankee, the, the Brit Yankee, Brit oh, and Yankee pub. Yeah. And uh, he's got his uh, co-host, who's uh, Lingo, mm-hmm. Mike Lingofelter. Yep. And uh, they go to a lot of beer festivals and breweries and stuff. One of my old co-hosts, uh, young Adri, went out to uh, Chicago where he's based and appeared on one of their pubcasts. Nice. As a representative of the Garbage Pod. <laughs> so, Merry Christmas to both of you. Merry Christmas. Thank you, sir. And yeah. to you. And I uh, hope you both have a great new year as well. Thank you. Thank you. I must thank Alan Taylor Shearer as well for helping us out in the first half. And that leaves us with one thing left to say. And that is, thanks for listening. Take care, one and all. And I'll speak to you all again real soon. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Ho, 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 toodles. Ho, ho, ho.